Hello and welcome to Six Pixels Under Podcast. I am your host, Nerd Slayer, or NS, as you guys know. This is episode 58. Welcome and uh, hello. It is the 11th of November and Monday starting off the week. We have a little bit of things to get to today. Not a whole lot, but that's because, um, honestly, I was kind of hoping, hoping, like a combination of a word, like hoping and then wanting at the same time, hoping. But I was hoping that uh, we could talk a little bit about um, some more maybe conceptual types of things today. Maybe you guys can get me ranted in one direction or another. Um, that being said, if you guys remember, each podcast has a roundtable, and the roundtable this week is joined by, look, oh, the same uh, two customers, Arden Limpos as usual, Carlo couldn't make it, and I believe Gardener is a little bit shy, so maybe he won't show up. Just so you guys know, anybody is allowed to show up as long as you've already put in your time on the Discord, that's just like the little vetting process, but like... I know some of you can't show up because of your schedules, because of work, and I do appreciate you still being here to watch me, and then also uh, being in chat and being active in chat, because even whenever we have people on the panel or on the roundtable for the week, we're, we're all still reading chat, and so chat helps create a lot of discussion anyway, but I also want to keep urging people to, if you feel like it, you know, join the podcast and have a chance to have your actual voice heard, not just your words. and. Uh, Maybe your words, whenever you put them in a text format, get overlooked, but maybe whenever you can talk to people on the podcast, I don't know, maybe you make a breakthrough about something in regards to how you like uh, MMOs. Or maybe it's just nice to talk about something that you don't get to talk about that often. That's kind of a big reason why um, creating the Discord in the community was a big focus for me was that I've talked about it before, but having grown up on forums, you know, each MMO had its own forum, and each MMO's forum was different. You know, it, it just depend, it depended on the game that you were playing. Everybody knows um, I played a lot of Darkfall, and Darkfall's forums were just, um, it was different. It was, uh, Darkfall's forums were like an art in itself. Mortal Online had a very similar feel. Those are full loot games, so a little bit more hardcore audiences. But also, I mean, even just like Wildstar's forums, Rift's forums, like, each forum had its own kind of personalities, but forums kind of fell to the wayside after a while for a number of reasons, partly because I felt like uh, developers started to control what happened on the forums too much. And once that started to happen, players just decided, let's just go create our own communities because you don't want to feel like, hey, this is a place where I voice my opinion, but I can't actually voice my opinion. That's happened like over and over again. In fact, that happened with Rift and Arcage. And so it's happened uh, numerous times with other MMOs. So Discord's almost taken over uh, in terms of the forum wars, if you will. B Bulletin and Z boards and all this other shit. It's like not really a thing. Um, well, I mean, it's, it's still around, but it's not really as popular as uh, Discord's taken over. So, I don't know. Anyway, just I'm glad to be able to say that we have a community where we can talk about MMOs and talk about things that we're passionate about because uh, fun to do every now and then. Become junior detective and join up. Yes. And <laughs> my back can only carry so much of the podcast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The only really thing is, is like, I don't want you guys to think it's scary to come up here just because 
we're going to have discussions or maybe you've heard Limpos and Card argue before, but it's like Limpos and I have argued before, Card and I have argued, like it, it, people see that as arguing because they're thinking, oh man, this is like, to me, this is considered arguing. But for other people, it's just really, it is just like discourse. Right? They're just trying to get to the bottom of something. They're trying to understand something. And for some people, they don't take it as like confrontational. In fact, they might even prefer that it's confrontational. So they can figure out, okay, what are we working here, uh, with here? What are we dealing with here? I know not everybody's like that, but just understand that if you come onto the platform, not only do you get the chance to raise your hand, which it gives you a chance, gives everybody a chance to, to go, essentially. Um, anybody's opinion, you know? Like, you can have any kind of opinion. Maybe you hate full loot, and you have a good reason for that. Maybe you hate PvP, and you have an argument for that, or maybe you think um, some style of game doesn't work, or, you know what I'm saying? Like, Whatever your opinions are, it's, as long as you're willing to defend them, um, I think we're open to having all kinds of discussions. Do you intend to make a death of a game of Strike Vector? Huh, I don't think I've heard of that one before, anime. <laughs> it's been really nice joining the Discord. I haven't been a part of a forum in a long time, but... Yeah, don't, don't get me wrong, we'll have our shit posts every now and then, we'll have some people kind of trolling and we'll have like the usual kind of forum stuff i'm totally fine with that i'm i have no problems with that kind of stuff as long as you're not breaking the like as long as people aren't breaking the i'm cool with whatever people want to do scream and shout at each other that is clearly a superior way to convey information <laughs> pushing is hard to make it look oh yes that's cool to see i can't wait to see that myself uh, art. Let's get into our uh, first topic, though. You know I like to keep the podcast a little bit laid back, and I know that doesn't make the people who listen to me live uh, enjoy it the most on uh, SoundCloud or whatever else, because they don't get the actions to the chat in the same way. But um, I don't I don't think there's any way to fix that. That's just one of those things where it's like, listening to podcasts these days is kind of like, um, for a Twitch show especially, or a show like mine, you know, discussion show you're missing a lot of it not watching it just there's no way around that it's kind of like um with some shows you can kind of skip you know you have timestamps. you don't really have to worry about it but on a show or a podcast that's trying to also discussion amongst the community it's kind of going to be like unless i read out every single comment which i guess i could do you know maybe maybe that'd be an improvement i'm still new at this much i don't know we're learning as we go so WoW Classic has drove uh, the biggest quarterly increase in subscriptions in the franchise's history. So this was the recent news that came out with the quarterly uh, financial release for Blizzard Activision. And apparently like the big news is essentially overall profit is down for Blizzard Activision. But specifically in certain regards, it's doing a little bit better, right? Like in terms of WoW, WoW's had its biggest, uh, its biggest sub increase in a long time. But Overwatch, for example, has kind of stagnated a bit. That leads to the whole idea of maybe why they did the Overwatch 2 thing, for example. Um, I think that uh, Classic WoW driving this is not really totally surprising for me um, because it's a game that was based around that model as well, if you, if you know what I'm trying to say. So it's like the expectation is like it's totally normal that you would pay a sub fee to play WoW. Um, 
maybe if it was like some new game that was like similar to WoW, maybe people will be less willing to pay a sub fee at such, you know, a uh, grade of a rate, I guess I should say. If I remember correctly, and I don't know why they didn't link it here, but there was also some stats released that I think they said that the numbers were in the millions again. So I think they, they said it was like a one to two million uh, player increase. But it doesn't say that here. I'll have to see if somebody in chat can find that for me. Because I know I've seen that somewhere. You can cut up all the dead air. Yeah, that's true. I try and do that sometimes. The problem with cutting with dead air on on, on a uh, really big file is sometimes when you export it, at least this has happened with me because I use Audacity, sometimes it like has rendering issues. Something with the sound. Like I, sometimes it only... I've heard people talk about it on one of my podcasts where they said like you can hear it in one. I don't know why that happens sometimes, but it's why I only these days normalize the podcast audio since it's so long. And then I uh, change like the decibels of the sound. Lower, higher decibel. I don't really compress. I don't um, noise reduce because I find that that usually messes up your sound file. It's that large. It's good to see you guys as well. Uh, Pujit, Limpos, Real Dinatron, Jumpman, Card, Animan, Arlo. Uh, who else did I miss? That was that's everybody who's been talking so far. All right. Yeah, I don't. You know, this is um, this is not surprising, right? But I think if we want to talk about why it's significant, is you hear the enfranchise history in both the West and East. This is the biggest quarterly in. This isn't, um, this at first glance might not seem as, I guess, impressive, but I think even in totality, like it, within the context of the early releases, I still think it's pretty impressive that it was the fastest growth within a quarterly increase. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like, even though Wrath of the Lich King obviously was the game at its absolute peak of population, that was more of like a gradual, a great gradual gain, but it wasn't like overnight success it was uh i guess maybe it feels that way when you look at the numbers but you know wow early on was already greatly successful tbc was already greatly successful so whenever wrath came out it was even more successful but it wasn't unheard of per se i think the numbers started to get crazy kind of at the at the at the climax period of uh wrath is when they started to get to that kind of crazy seven to like eight nine ten million number and of course, a lot of those numbers were coming from Chinese accounts as well. But um, this is the first time that they basically did kind of, if you want to describe it as like a 180 design shift. Um, the previous decisions were done over time, you know, bit by bit, right? Expansion by expansion, patch by patch. But releasing classic WoW is, is like saying, hey, we're going to undo like thousands of changes in a single day and then the server's live the next day you know what i'm saying like it's 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 a lot bigger of a thing so it maybe that could lead to why it had uh, such success but i think it's also indicative of something I do think that you can look at this and think to yourself like is it fair to say the subscription model is necessarily dead if final fantasy 14 and wow uh wow are still having pretty damn good success with them is it just because these games are the only two who can sustain such a model? 
or you know like because that's what i believe i think wow has been one of the few companies that's been able or sorry games and blizzard's one of the few companies that's been able to sustain the the, the scale of game that wow is from a theme park perspective we talked about this a lot but i this is an important point that you guys will hear me talk about a lot uh, going forward when it comes to how a game's content is designed in the context of an MMO, it's very important to know what the terms mean, right? Like you hear theme park, you hear sandbox, sometimes people even say sand park. Um, the reason why these terms are very important is that when you look at the context of WoW, right, each expansion has to be bigger than the next. If they want to keep driving towards this great success, right? And because content is iterative, meaning like it comes out expansion by expansion, patch by patch, and it's also consumable, meaning that once you get the gear from these dungeons or raids, most people don't play them anymore. That's just like statistically speaking, once you've gotten the gear from the raid or the dungeon, you're not going to really raid or do that same dungeon again, right? And, and the reason being is because there's essentially no reason to do that. Maybe in later versions of WoW, they added even harder difficulties to the game. And so that created replayability. So people go back and play like the old school raid, but they play them on hard difficulties. But generally speaking, um, you have to do a raid or a dungeon at least, you know, a dozen times if you want to get uh, the gear that you want from it, right? Even if you're lucky and all these other things considered. And so after that point, you might have done it maybe a couple dozen times. And so you're tired of doing the same dungeon, which doesn't change. It's not dynamic. It doesn't have emergent gameplay. There's no sandbox features within the concept. You can't change the way it functions, right? Generally speaking, it's going to function the same way. And so essentially, you can only play that so many times before you get bored. And that's, in a nutshell, what a theme park is. In the same way that when you go to Disney World and you ride the same ride over and over again or whatever theme park you have near you, Eventually, <clears throat> you're going to get bored of it, right? Because the um, the shock factor isn't there anymore. The newness, the, the new car smell kind of fades away. You've seen it every single angle. You've done it in the front, the, the middle section. You've done it all the way in the back. Like, like, no matter how you change your experience, it's kind of already um, played out for you. Right? In, in the same way in a video game, right? Like, if you've done the same repeatable quest... Um, sorry, if you've done the storyline that's not repeatable or is repeatable, sooner or later you're going to get to the point where it feels like you're doing the same thing and then that normal kind of boring sludge feel that starts to happen. That is very common in theme park style games. Like The reason why this is very um, important to look at here is that although these numbers are huge quarterly increases, the reason why a huge quarterly increase isn't actually as attractive in the long run uh, in the context of uh, WoW and Blizzard is because subscription, right? Like, this is a subscription model. If it was just like, wow, we, we drove up revenue to 300% and maybe they had some other kind of business model, maybe you could see that it's like a very, very good thing. But subscription models are very typically high at one point and then low at another point. So it's like, it's one of those things where it really depends on the how the game's doing. So what I'm trying to say is, is that it's not surprising that WoW Classic has done well because it is a subscription game that has been doing well for some time on private servers. And even though it was free there, <clears throat> we knew people wanted to play the game and there was a lot of desire to play the game. What I'm worried about is how long can they keep these subscription numbers, right? Because um, 
it's not like they're really releasing new content, right? Clearly, they're just going to breadcrumb the rest of the content phase by phase out with no new announcement so far at the most recent BlizzCon of what the future of Classic will be. Is there a Classic Plus? Is there a TBC server? You still don't really know. And so I think that um, these numbers uh, in a couple more quarters, maybe two quarters, like next summer, <clears throat> I think it's going to look very different. And I think we'll know for sure if uh, this news for WoW Classic is as positive as it seems now because... <clears throat> The thing with um, theme park MMOs that have subscription models, this is a point that I want to drive home as my voice is <clears throat> apparently giving up on me, but um, this is the point that I want to drive home. It's that at their ultimate level, like when they've got all, um, when they're firing on all cylinders, right? They've got enough content coming out, a big expansion pack, huge uh, trailers, marketing 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 like everything is going well for them let's say it's like right before tbc launch or it's right before wrath launch or it's right before cata launch <clears throat> when it's at these points for them those are the points for them where they've got the greatest level of success but the problem with the model is that they can't just have that great level of success for three four five months because they spent millions of dollars on the content they've just created and are trying to market to you. So what they actually need is that content to last at least a certain amount of months so they can get uh, re so they can get recouped on it basically. Now, yeah, in some cases they charge for the expansion and that also helps them recoup in 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 a sort of way. But I think that um it's very common for a theme park game to have just one bad expansion. All you need is a single bad expansion and your population can drop. I mean, 30, 40, 50% of your population can drop just like that. <clears throat> wow has proven this, even as the behemoth it is. Even though people talk about how great Final Fantasy XIV is, for example, it's had numerous drops in population throughout its life cycle. <clears throat> and so it's hard to deny that. And that's why I always say to be careful with numbers like this when you hear about subscription quarterly numbers or, or amounts of players in Final Fantasy XIV and WoW, two of the few subscription-only games kind of remaining. It's because um, in an instant, those numbers go quickly. Because when MMO fans um, realize there's kind of no more future to your world, why are they going to continue to pay a subscription monthly for it when you're not producing anything new? Right, like after a while, that fades away. Like that, that whole desire to pay monthly for an older game, I think that fades away after a amount of time because inherently it fades away because the content is consumable. After you've gone through the raids, are you going to go back and do them again? Like you've already done them so many times, what more reason do you have to come back to do the raids again? You don't really have a reason. And so if you're wondering, like. How, as an MMO, do you avoid this problem of overnight going from... Uh, thanks for the cheer, by the way, Idris. The, the, from going from overnight success, like, boom, subscription numbers, like, my MMO's blowing up three months in, like, my population is great, to all of a sudden it's just, boom, drop. Well, you can't make a game that has content in a way that's consumable and then have no other way for players to create their own content. I mean, it's, it, it doesn't take a rocket scientist at this point or even an MMO uh, nerdgen like myself to explain that to you, right? Like, you, I, if I just explained what 
theme park content is to you, how it's consumable, how it's created at a high cost, right? Costs a lot of money to make that kind of content. It takes a long time. It takes a lot of labor. And yet somebody can just blaze through that dungeon and just like that, right? So think about it. Let's say I have a team of 30 developers and we're working, we have like 20 of our guys working on new content. We create this new expansion, this new like dungeon raid. Like for us, it's a lot of work, man. We're, we're putting in all this time for coding, design, story, writing. And then some asshole player, probably like me, probably like one of us in chat, gets the expansion, beats that shit in like a day. And then the developers are like, you guys rush through it. And then the player is like, but isn't that what we're kind of supposed to do? Because it's just linear content that goes in a straight line that's consumable. Like, it's one of those things where it's like both sides aren't wrong or right, right? Like, from the developer's perspective, and Raf Koster has talked about this on his blog a lot, from their perspective, they're like, man, we've created this cool, like, contained theme park content for you guys. And it took so much effort. You don't realize how much effort we put into it. And it's like, it's not that, really. It's it's more that there's only so much um, that you can do with that kind of content, period, right? Like, after you're done with it, you kind of move on. And that, so you might be asking, what's the alternative to content like that? Well, obviously, it's content where you give the tools to the players. When the developers have the tools, the developers are personally uh, responsible for creating content in your game, right? But when players have tools, the players are responsible for creating the content in your game. And I'm not going to say that you should go survival sandbox type of game where you give all of the um, burden to players because I think that's actually wrong. I don't think that that works. I mean, I think so many sandbox uh, survival games have proven that it doesn't really create a conducive environment where players are actually engaging with each other other than just fighting and raiding each other. Um, but at the same time, I think that um, that's kind of used as an excuse, especially for early sandbox games. And Raf Koster, again, talked about it where he said uh, Star Wars Galaxies was an accidental sandbox. But the concept was essentially like they didn't have content early on. There was barely any questing. And so it wasn't that the intention was to make you create your own story. It was more of like lack of resources, uh, lack of questing, and lack of kind of like knowledge of that situation to be able to like know what to do with quests and how to keep people engaged in that early game new player kind of experience you know like a tutorial of sorts like runescape does it everquest has the newbie island like it, it, it was more like a combination of that other stuff and so it's funny because we look at it now and we're like man star wars galaxies was so purposeful and how it was a sandbox but it's like even the creator himself doesn't think so it's like it, you're actually what you realize is that he, in a way, and, and I think he's also described it in this way, Raf Koster has described Galaxies as almost like this accidental like masterpiece. That it, it had so much going against it, had a small budget, small team, wasn't getting the full resources even though it was a Star Wars game. And then it created all of this other like experience for people. And it's a very polarizing game. But the reason is, is because players had more tools to create their content. So whenever developers were slow to have a new expansion like let's say like um tbc doesn't happen and then and where wrath happened that's where tbc happened so it's like years later they would have lost a lot of players in between that time if they weren't producing new content but how could they have offset losing those amount of players well they could have given players more tools in order to create content themselves so in a way i think of it as like you want players to have tools as a developer 
because you don't want them to just consume your content. Because if you only give them content that can be consumed, they're just going to consume it all. They're going to feast all over that content. And I've been that person. I've been on multiple MMO occasions, one of the first to hit max level. And it's like, at the time, it felt so cool. And then when you look at it in hindsight, you're like, was that even fun? Why am I even doing that? Like, what's the purpose of it? And then you think about, why am I doing this in the context of playing an MMO? When it's like, I want to be achievement centric. Why don't I go play a game that's like an esport? Why don't I go play a game that has like a very hard difficulty single player experience? Like, why am I playing an MMO for that kind of rush through it experience? Well, it's because MMOs, again, they became that way. And WoW found a way to package content in a theme park fashion, right? Like they were one of the first MMOs that ever kind of figured out how do we provide this good, fun, inventive experience, but just in like this little tiny area where you can click this NPC and then boom, you get your quest like that. Like how do we simplify this process of talking to NPC? Like maybe EverQuest's way of actually having to type out things, they were like, that's too complicated. How do we make that a little bit simpler for when you're like, say for example, going into a... um a theme park, um, let's say you're going to uh, Six Flags or something. Like when you walk up and you want to get onto a ride, you have to kind of understand what that ride's about a little bit, right? And it's pretty easy because you can just watch it. I think that's why um, theme park games seem like they're a little bit more Care Bear is because by nature, they're trying to explain to you what you're about to do and experience in such a short amount of time and you're not really going to learn like the whole process of it. Like a good example of this for me is people say that early game dungeons and theme park games are are there to teach you how or, or sorry, the early game leveling experience and the early game dungeons are just there to teach you how to play at max level. I've heard this said a lot like, oh, the early game experience, like, don't worry about it. It's just there to teach you kind of how to play at max level or like that's what the dungeons are for or that's what the lower level raids are for. But it's like. And yet, you can still get to max level. And I'm playing Classic WoW right now. I'm 58.5 or 58.75. I'm almost uh, level 59. And I was playing with a couple level 60s where I was just like, how did you guys even make it to level 60? And then I see that they're playing a mage, and I'm like, oh, that's how you made it to level 60. Because you're playing a class where it's like essentially much easier for you to make mistakes on. <clears throat> but point being is like, that content should teach players like that to not be making these big mistakes at later levels. But because content became so much easier and you're just trying to essentially teach somebody how to do something in a very short amount of time so they don't have to put a lot of effort into learning it, it's kind of hard to do that, right? It's kind of hard to have like, hey, come check out this cool ride. And if I make the ride too complicated, you're not going to want to ride in it. You know what I mean? So I have to make the ride a little bit simpler to kind of understand and then tell you, hey, come check it out, come check it out. That way I get more people interested in my content, period, and my content is not wasting, right? It's not like wasting time because think about it this way. If a theme park MMO uh, is the most expensive game to make, and I don't see an argument against that, so far it's been the most expensive game to make. Um, SWOTOR was super expensive. WoW was super expensive. Is still super expensive. Final Fantasy XIV must be, at this point, super expensive as well. These games don't really function at large scale. And what I mean by that is that 
you can only afford to make that kind of game if you're basically a corporation or a massive conglomerate of a company. There's no small-scale theme park MMOs that really work. Think about that. Like, think about a small-scale theme park MMO. It's like, it, it doesn't really work because why would you make a game for a niche audience if you made it a theme park game? You know what I'm saying? It's like, it, it seems like it goes against the nature of creating a, uh, an indie type of game. You're more likely to create most indie projects, something that's more sandboxy. That's because inherently, it's easier to develop a game where the developers don't have to worry about creating as much content because that's very expensive, very time-consuming, and not just everybody can do that. I know WoW has made it seem like it's the standard, but it's not easy to do. I mean, I talked about it in my Death of a Game on Age of Empires Online, where the Microsoft producer... Um, mentioned how the content in that game had become so expensive that it was essentially worth more money than they were getting by charging for it. You know what I'm saying? So it was like, that's a problem that a theme park MMO can suffer from because think about it. If you don't buy the next expansion, how are they going to keep making more content? They can't. So one bad expansion, it just takes one bad expansion and boom, that game is in jeopardy. I think that that model is just... um. It's only sustainable for the big top dogs. Um, we'll see if it's going to be sustainable for WoW Classic going forward, considering it's having, well, no new content. I don't think it's going to be sustainable for long, this uh, high uh, level of success that's come from WoW Classic. Um, I don't think it's going to be sustainable unless they actually, again, they start to actually communicate with the audience. I think people are going to stop playing the game just inherently because of the design of the game, right? The game is not designed to not have new content coming. It's not. WoW Classic is not, even WoW Classic, the more sandboxy of the WoWs, right? Based on the other expansions, it's got more sandbox uh, feel to it than the other, you know, more later version of WoW does. But even that is not enough because think about it. Let's say you've done all of the raids, done all of the dungeons, you've got your gear, You've got a decent amount of money because you're not spending it on anything else now because you've already done all the content. What more is there to do in the game for you? PvP, right? Just for the sake of it? Because after a while, maybe you hit rank 13 and unless you're going to grind to rank 14 super hardcore, you're not going to get Grand Marshal, right? So then it's like, what are you doing in the game exactly? Grinding more? Grinding more for what? For the raids? You already did the raids. So what are you grinding for? You see what I'm saying? It's like, there's not enough scarcity or ways to spend your resources in the game and tools that players have in order to keep the game alive. There just isn't. And I think it's, um, it's very interesting to me because I used to see that kind of um, when I was younger, but I didn't know how to necessarily put it into words. But it's so interesting that now, 2019, 15 years later, I get to see the same exact you know, kind of concept happen again. Wow, classic, right? The 2004 WoW. And see once again, but this time, almost like in a vacuum because they haven't announced the future for it. WoW classic almost does exist in a weird vacuum, right? Because it's not really a part of like actual Blizzard culture yet. Like they, they're still barely acknowledging it. I don't know. It's a weird thing. I don't have much else to say about that though. <laughs> Thank you.
I will say that Classic WoW was certainly one of the better journeys until later on where they constantly send you all over the place to get stuff. But it's nothing but journeying to places that... Yeah, so one thing I noticed early on is that um, I, I thought that people... Um, like, the first impression I got... And I don't want to talk too much about it because I'm writing a review about it. But my first impression I got um, before I got into Classic WoW, playing it on private servers and just kind of hearing from people, was that the leveling experience was one of the more enjoyable aspects of the game. And then I also um, heard that the game was, of course, a lot more of a traditional style MMO. And so the first thing I noticed in regards to that is, of course, difficulty. Like, But then you realize, like, it, it's more difficult, certainly, but it's more difficult in very simplistic way. Like, it's more difficult in the sense that uh, mobs hit you harder and they have more HP relative to your level, but are they smarter? Um, do they necessarily, like, outthink you? Um, not necessarily, right? And so, ultimately, once you learn how the combat works and you learn how your class works, you kind of know how to get away and if you can't get away, right? Say, for example, if my feign death as a hunter fails or gets resisted, I know that unless I can slow my, the mob that's chasing me or the boss that's chasing me and then get my aspect of the cheetah to run away, I'm probably not going to get away. So, like, at that point, I kind of already am like, okay, this is a lost fight. So I think people take that as like, oh, well, that's difficult, right? It's like, well... It's difficult, but it's more difficult in a simplistic way, where it's like, if you don't have this condition, then you, you get this outcome kind of thing, right? In the same way that when a warrior pulls, like, for example, more than one mob, he has a hard fight. Is it a hard fight because it's, like, that much more skill intensive? Or is it just because it's another health bar hitting a target that doesn't heal? You know what I'm saying? It's like, you kind of realize it's a lot more simple than you thought. So all I'm trying to say is, is that, I still greatly respect WoW uh, Classic's combat system and gameplay. I think it's still on the market, even on the market today, and I'm not kidding, one of the better MMOs out there. But I've also kind of realized that a lot of the uh, expectations and impressions that I was getting from other people, they're colored under a certain lens. First off, I think you can talk about nostalgia. I don't really focus on that as much because honestly, that's a big part of MMOs, period. They're about subjective experiences. What I'm more interested in is that which other MMOs have you played? And, I, and I've kind of realized that's a lot of why expectations that I was told about WoW aren't really, ex or aren't really meeting my expectations. I think it's because I've played other MMOs. And so it's like I realize that there's other things out there. There's other approaches. So I've actually enjoyed leveling in games before, for example. And so maybe for some people they haven't. And so for them it's like, oh, I really enjoy leveling in WoW Classic. And it's like, the thing about leveling in WoW Classic is that, um, first off, the story is barely there. And um, that's just, that's being generous, right? That's even reading quest text. There's barely story there. There are certain zones in the game which are not designed in any way, shape, or form other than being large areas where mobs are spawned and sprawled out all over the place just so you can kill them over and over again and then maybe get a chance to loot certain things off of them. That's kind of the extent of a lot of the, even later game zones, even the, the zones that I like, like uh, Crater, like uh, Blasted uh, Lands, like so, some of these zones that even, even the zones I like are kind of, you realize they kind of just evolve into that. Like, and it makes those moments where you do have cool quests 
that much more exciting i will say like when i actually do have a good quest um and i enjoy the way it's written and i enjoy the gameplay of it but then it you were you're reminded that those are so few and far between that most of the time you're getting kill x thing loot x thing fly x place fly back and once your brain is kind of trained on the patterns you know like mine is at this point you're kind of like oh so it's basically just the same thing except the concepts repeated in another way and and that's why for some people i actually do suggest you don't get involved in development if you just like games for the sake of liking games like fashion wise <laughs> because sometimes when you can learn the more like critical aspects of them or how development actually works how they design things sometimes it does take away a little bit of that kind of um luster i guess is what i'm trying to say in a nutshell that's my opinion on wow classic in a, in a nutshell is that like i think because i'm um experienced in playing other mmos and I kind of understand how the game is designed a bit. I think it makes it less enjoyable for me. But I will say that out of most MMOs that I've compared it to in just the past couple of years, and we're talking like five, six, seven years, it's still been one of those MMOs that's created some of the best moments. And I think that that's still pretty impressive, even despite my like criticism of it. Because I think it's interesting that a lot of the time I talk to people about MMOs, period. They think just because I play WoW Classic, I have some super positive experience or opinion of it. And it's it's more that um, I play it because I'm covering it, first off. And I play it because I play it with my friends. If I played it alone, I would have quit a long time ago, right? Um, if I didn't have people to... I mean, that's, that's almost the case in just about any MMO I think I've ever played. If I play it alone, good chance I'm going to quit it. Because it's just not as fun to play alone. Those games aren't really meant to be played alone. And WoW Classic is one of those games where it's like, in some ways, it's not meant to be played alone, but then in other ways it is. And it kind of depends on the class that you play. So I realize that some of my gripes, for example, just come from the fact that I played a hunter. And uh, hunters just excel by playing by themselves a little bit. Then maybe, say for example, a warrior does. So that, that also colors your perspective a lot. But I think that's why it's always important to just explain where you're coming from and uh, how you see things when it comes to your perception and um, your experience with a game. That's why they are changing the leveling experience in retail with Shadowlands. Because it's pretty messed up right now. Difficulty is relative. People remember WoW as hard because at that time it was hard for them. Like remembering things in school but now seems simple. Hmm. Classic was 15 plus years ago at this point. People were much less inclined than they are now. You'd probably have a completely different set of issues if you played Warrior. So I actually was in the process of leveling up a Warrior. I think I got him to like level 17. And honestly, the only reason why I stopped leveling him is because my level buddy stopped playing the game. But um, it like if I want to talk about how difficult it was to play the Warrior, it kind of goes back to how I commented about it earlier. It's difficult from the perspective of it's essentially an HP race. No matter how you slice it as a Warrior, it's a matter of how much hits can you take before you kill your target, right? And so it's no more complex than that, except if you throw in maybe like once you get high enough level, you hamstring tight with a two-hander and kind of, you know, maximize DPS in that way. There are ways to maximize play in the game, but it's not, it's, there's not that many ways, right? And so I think that's my biggest issue with playing a warrior in WoW is that it's essentially... 
um, difficult because it's a class that's not designed to be played solo. And so when people use it as like the paragon of difficult leveling, for example, I'm usually like, well, it also gets the most benefit. You know, like once it has the most gear, it gets the greatest benefit. From it. So it's like one of those things where it's a trade-off. But actually, my issue with playing a warrior is my same issue with playing a rogue and a mage. Everybody in the world is playing that damn class. On my server, I probably see in my dungeon groups, mages, rogues, and other warriors. I'm not kidding, nearly every single group I've done. I've had at least one of those roles in my game, or in my group. I've only ever a single time had another hunter in my dungeon group. Only one other single time I had a hunter in my dungeon group. I've had shamans, maybe... Baconite, who I play with a good amount uh, on the Discord, is um, a shaman. So that, I mean, I guess in that case, I've played with a lot of shamans because I played with him a lot. But give or take, it's like, otherwise, I'm not playing with a whole lot of shamans. So it's just, I think that also affects maybe people's viewpoint of difficulty in the game is raids and stuff become a lot easier once you kind of realize, just roll a mage. <laughs> just, just play warrior, just play rogue, like and do, you know, ask loads of DPS. Once you get to know how, the game is pretty dang easy. Yeah, and, and I mean, I, I disagree with that, because, like, I, I hear people say that a lot, and it, it's, a, it's a rhetoric that um, I don't know if I'm particularly fond of. So we've talked about it before, and I don't think it's debatable to say that your level of knowledge over something is usually going to be a positive relationship between your skill of that said thing, right? So the more you know about it, the better you're going to be at it, generally speaking, right? But what I also find is, is that people are very quick to dismiss something because they say, well, well, the game was only difficult because people were just ignorant, right? Because people were just ignorant. And I think that that's not necessarily true because first off, the internet still existed back then. People were still using the internet back then. I've mentioned this argument a dozen times. Like there were websites back in 2003, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9 where you could learn how to play the game. You could learn where quest objectives were. You could learn how to get rares. You like that stuff was always around. I I've, I've been on the uh, scene myself for such a long time, right? Like we talk about Alakazam, I feel like all the time because of that reasoning. So it's like it was there before, but it was just harder to get right? So now that information is more available to everybody and people are a lot more willing to look up said information, I definitely do think it makes the game easier. But that being said, what I still find the most misleading about that is that even though Mage, for example, is a very good DPS class, every Mage I've played with in the past five group sessions in WoW Classic has out-DPSed me as a hunter, as they should, first off, but has out-DPSed me. Now, I could be frustrated and be like, well, damn, that's not fair. I'm a DPS. How come they can just always do more DPS than me? But it, that's not the frustrating part. The frustrating part is when you watch the guy go run into a mob, pull the aggro on all of the mobs, panic, ice block, and then die, and then be like, oh, whoops, my bad, guys. It's when you see things like that, and yet you still look at the DPS charts, and they're still out DPSing you. You're like... So even if you played like at your worst, 
you could still do more damage than me. I think that makes people very frustrated when they look at metas, right? Because like the, people talk about the meta all the time. We hear it on the podcast all the time. Someone in chat talks about the meta. And ignorance definitely does change the meta, right? When you don't know how things work, it does change the meta. That being said, even when a meta is established, metas can still be upset and still be changed. Even in a game with fixed outcomes like chess, right? The meta has shifted over the years. I'm not going to argue it's shifting nearly as much anymore. I think it's kind of reached a bit of its uh its ultimate period if if you will like it it's it's peak i don't know if it's really going any more past that but there's other games that even though they've existed for long periods of time the meta can still shift and that means that your game is pretty deep if that's able to happen um great example i like to bring up is super smash brothers melee came out in like 03 so it's been around for like 15 16 years and the meta is still constantly shifting because of the way that you can play the game because of the control that you have over your character and the way that you can input commands, people are still figuring out ways to play that game differently. So I think that while ignorance is a big factor, I think once ignorance is equalized, you still have all of the other things to account for, right? Reaction time, knowledge, knowing how to play, read your opponent, um, gear, level advantages, you name, you know, whatever, other types of advantages. Back when Fox, Marth, and Sheik were the one true gods, then Puff Peach appeared. Yeah, and then uh, Falco as well. I think the skill factor is something like Super Smash is completely different from an MMO. I think so, essentially, when you talk about it from a mechanical perspective, right? And that's why I like to have that kind of discussion a lot, is from a mechanical perspective, yeah, it's pretty hard to ever argue that there's anything on an MMO front that comes close to the amount of mechanical ability it takes to play Super Smash Bros. Melee. But I can also make the argument that in MMOs I've played, it takes more knowledge to play those games than it does in Super Smash Bros. Melee. I'm willing to debate anybody who plays Smash Bros. Melee on that, by the way. Like, I, I'm, I truly believe that there are MMOs that take more knowledge. I think that they take more knowledge. I think that they are actually a lot more matchup-specific than a fighting game is. In a fighting game, you can still win matchups that are unfavorable towards you just through either sheer, sheer like, you know, um, maybe ability or maybe you just caught somebody off guard or maybe you realized your weaknesses and you kind of uh, took advantage of that. In the MMO context, MMOs are a lot more rock, paper, scissors. So it's a lot more about you have to kind of know what the course of events is and what the person can do in order to kind of counter that and know how to be able to beat them. But I feel like it's a lot more, um, it's a lot more knowledge-based where... You know, a big reason why I used to uh, do really well in Guild Wars 2, for example, was that I played, a, I played a condition Mancer early on before basically anybody else did, right? But the reason why I was so good at it is because I knew that people were going to build against me, meaning that they were going to build in a way that could get rid of their conditions or try and give them back to me. And so many people did do that. But then I learned that whenever you use the Scepter, for example... You can use just a single ability, that's just a 15 second cooldown, to send all of the conditions back to somebody. So I would purposely let people stack all of their conditions onto me, and then I would just send it right back to somebody, and then I would spread that with Epidemic to everybody else in the, in the, in the party. And that was a big reason why I had a lot of success in Guild Wars 2 uh, structured PvP, was because of kind of this playstyle, right, where I knew people were going to put conditions onto me, or try and like cleanse my conditions and so my whole idea was that 
I was going to counter that. Either you were going to try and take the conditions from me um, and, or put them onto me and I'd put them back onto you. Or if you tried to take them off yourself, I would stop you from doing that. And that was basically my build in a nutshell, right? And so it's like, against some builds that don't have any conditions, maybe that playstyle doesn't work, but I can still stack conditions on that target and then run away from my target the entire time. So you see what I'm saying? It's like MMOs are a little bit more about your knowledge and how to handle like certain situations than maybe like um, a shooter is. Like no matter what, if you don't know how to aim in a shooter, I find it pretty hard to argue you're ever going to be any good. Like I just find it kind of hard to argue that. Like maybe if you're playing a specific kind of shooter that has other things like uh, Overwatch, like abilities and and maybe like um, melee champs and tanks and things like that. But like generally speaking, if you're going to play CSGO, for example, or you're going to play um, Halo, if you don't know how to aim like kind of at all, like let's say like you can barely even swing your mouse or move your mouse to your target and like fire at them, like you're going to have a hard time playing those games, even if you're the smartest motherfucker in the game, right? Because even if you're a camper, in those games, those are games in which you can get challenged in a firefight. And what I mean is, is that in those games, when somebody can see you, they still have that split second in order to turn on you, fire on you, and kill you. So it's like, if, even if you're just a hiding kind of player in CSGO, you can't just like rise to the super high ranks by just camping the whole Because people will frag you, people will uh, flash you, people will smoke you, people will also just turn to you right away and then just snap you if they're a better aim, right? And Halo's the same kind of concept. It's like, can you get a couple of kills by camping? Sure. But it's like maybe if you don't have a power weapon, you can't really camp because at the end of the day, when you fight somebody, it's very personal, one-on-one, -on -one, your mechanics versus their mechanics. MMOs aren't really about that. Like, Not many MMOs, period, have ever been about some level of mechanical skill. And of course, if you guys don't remember what I mean by mechanical skill, it just means like your ability to aim, your ability to move, your ability to react um, with reaction times, right? Your ability to do things like combos. Right? Things like that, would things that are time-reliant, things that are reliant on your ability to react quickly to something is usually something that's more mechanical. But something that's a little bit more what I would call knowledge-based is things like knowing how a certain spec works, knowing how to counter a certain build, knowing how to create a certain team comp so your, build, or so your team functions in a way, knowing how to communicate properly, right? Knowing how to uh, kind of stay calm, right? Maybe th these are things that someone who has more knowledge of game is able to do because they're not as flustered whenever something goes awry, right? They're a little bit more calm. It's like those little things I think are a lot more noticeable in MMOs than the mechanical aspects. But we've talked about it like loads. But the reason for that is just at this point, there isn't a whole lot of reason. Like at one point it was technical limitations, but the, the bar has been moved so much by then that really it's just like, when you look at Asian style MMOs that have action combat, what they give you is the illusion of action combat. It's not actually action combat. It's action combat in the context of an MMO. And then what you get on the other front is you get more of the same style of tab target combat where you're not only getting less abilities, less specs, and less ways to build your character, sometimes you're not even getting any choice period. Like in the case of Final Fantasy XIV, you just pick a job and that's it. You don't even get to spec yourself in any way, shape, or form. So. I've just noticed like combat overall in MMOs on both fronts has kind of been um, not impressive, right? On the knowledge front we've been talking about, I think it's been lacking there. Like there's not a whole lot of popular, well-known, successful MMOs right now that are knowledge-based MMO by the context in which I was describing.
just as as if there's not a whole lot of MMOs out there that are currently successful that are known for having this great level of mechanical ability, right? Um, I love talking about Darkfall Online because that's one of the few examples I can think of of an MMO that required a great amount of mechanical ability in order to play. Even the heal in that game required you to aim at your teammate, but you could hit the enemy as well. And so next thing you know, you're healing the enemy on accident. You're just like, whoops, what am I doing? You're casting your CCs and you're thinking like, oh, I'm going to blind this guy. You hit your teammate and now your teammate's blinded and now he's getting hit in the back. It's like that game was a lot more based on your ability to react mechanically to situations. And so because it didn't have enough of the knowledge aspects, it alienated a lot of that core MMO fan base because at the core of it, MMO fans are more knowledge based. That's just like, like it's one of those things where it's like, it's not my opinion in saying that. That's just the brass tacks, right? Look at the first MMOs that came out. Let's go further back. Let's look at multi-user dungeons, right? Multi-user dungeons, MUDs, right? Coming out in the 80s and 90s. These were text-based games. They required knowledge of how the game functioned, how to react, how to, how to, how to handle certain situations. It wasn't about your mechanical ability. Like what your mechanical ability to type on your keyboard because that's how you played the game was by typing so it wasn't really about mechanical ability then when you play games like project 1999 or everquest uh in 1999 the the combat in that game was a lot more based around your mouse movement and clicking onto things and then kind of like reacting in that sense it's there's no like aim per se it's tab target you locked onto your target like you have to look at your character or look at the target you're trying to hit just like in wow but it's like that's the extent of the mechanical, right? It's, there's nothing really more than that. Early MMOs just did not function on that kind of stuff. Now, I think the easiest argument to make there is because it wasn't fruitful for them, right? Technology was not yet advanced enough to have this, uh, you know, responsive, very exciting and like innovative combat on an online massive multiplayer uh, environment. It just wasn't possible back then. But over time, it became a lot more possible, right? Technology has only advanced since then. MMOs have gotten bigger in scale, and they look better, and and all of these other things. They have a lot more content. The expansions are a lot more packed. Like the one thing I'll say that kind of still has fallen by the wayside in my eyes is still combat. You still look at combat, and it it always creates a rant on the channel and on the podcast when I talk about combat because I just think it's one of those things that's been so undervalued in the context of an mmo that it's almost just like a meme at this point it's like i hate when i hear people say oh like this mmo is difficult to play this mmo is difficult to play it's like none of them are dude (laughs) really none of these mmos are a whole lot of difficult to play all right once you learn the mechanics once you learn that the fights happen the same way every single time in a raid context it's more so about like learning in the same way that you study for a test, right? It's not learning on the fly. It's not like being faced with like new changing scenarios and you're having to come up with new solutions to it. It's like, it's more of like you're learning based on this is what happens. Let me make sure I do the right reaction. So you're drilling. Like that concept is called drilling. You're winning, you're winning these raids or dungeons off of drilling the concepts, right? It's like, is that really difficult to do or is it, or is it more a matter of just time spent? You know what I'm saying? And I think MMOs can be actually difficult to play. I think you actually could have an MMO that has a high enough mechanical skill cap that it's difficult for people to play. It's already been done, right? Darkfall did it. 
I think it's also possible to have a MMO that's very much based on your knowledge and your ability to react to certain scenarios. That's what Star Wars Galaxies was, right? Star Wars Galaxies was and is a knowledge-based uh, MMO. It's not one that's about like crazy reactions and aiming and all this crazy stuff, even though you can turn on the action mode in that game, you can aim. It's not really about that. It's more so about knowing how to get certain buffs, <laughs> knowing how to get certain uh, rare pieces of gear and rare items that give you certain buffs. It, it, it's like knowing how to get food that uh, best optimally fits your build, knowing how to get the right armor attachments. It's, it's knowledge, right? Once you learn that knowledge, I'm not going to sit there and say that that just automatically makes you better at somebody or at PvPing than somebody else in that game. But largely, you're not going to have a whole hard time killing somebody if you're that much more geared and that much more knowledgeable than they are in a game like Galaxies. So I don't think that either one is right or wrong. Like whenever I talk about this stuff, I present it more as just somebody who's just interested in it, period. Like I don't think the knowledge-based style of MMO is like better than the mechanical side or vice versa. I think that either it's either or or you try and find a way in between. And I think trying to find a way in between is the easiest way not to alienate the most fans, but I also think that it's probably one of the more difficult ways to do it, right? What I'm trying to say is, is that when you're making an MMO and you're trying to focus on what kind of combat do we want to have in our game, I think you kind of have to make a decision. Like, how far in one direction do we want to go? Is our game going to be based around mechanical skill? Are we going to have projectiles? Are we going to have terrain as an object? Can you LOS people? Can you dodge abilities? Is everything auto-targetable? Do you have to aim heals, CCs? Is there P uh, placeable AOEs, PB AOEs? Like, what kind of mechanical depth is there in your game? You have to make the decision early on, okay? So let's say you've decided that, you know what? Like, you don't want it to be super crazy, like CSGO pixel perfect or melee pixel perfect level of frame data. Like, you want something kind of a little bit more in between, maybe something like Guild Wars 2, maybe something like Black Desert. Something that's a look, kind of like an action game, but not quite there yet. And then you think, all right, so like, how much of a focus do I want to put on the knowledge aspect in my MMO? So how much do I want somebody to have an advantage based on their ability to kind of know how a build works, know how to counter that build, know how to maybe like get certain abilities or skills or, or unlockables or gear in the game, right? How much of that do you want your game to be focused on? And I think you have to make this decision really early on because it's rarely uh, it's rarely done that you've seen a game that starts off as being super knowledgeable that just becomes super mechanical. My great example of this is EVE Online, right? It's a game that a lot of people like to drag on because they're like, oh, it's so complicated, so complicated. I'm not going to say it's the most complicated game ever, but it's definitely one of the more complicating games. And so at surface value, or you know, if you're looking at it from the surface, I should say, you're like, well... The game's so difficult, and that's kind of like why I don't want to play it. But how many people are looking at EVE Online and saying, man, the game just takes so much mechanical skill. I don't know if I'm ready for that. No, nobody's saying. Nobody's saying. Right? Nobody's making that argument. Like, realistically, nobody's saying, oh, it's like, it's got StarCraft two levels of micro. I don't know if I'm ready for that. Nobody's saying that. Right? I'm not saying it has to have that, but that's just a flaw of the game, no matter how you look at it from some people's lens. So when it comes to making, I think, a, a game or making a decision on an MMO's combat system, you have to understand you're going to ruffle feathers. If you only make your game playable by 360 no-scope Quake pros like uh, Darkfall Online was, 
that's not good either because then you don't have casuals who can even play your game you don't have people who maybe just suck at aiming but they're good at a lot of other things because not just because you're not good at something mechanically like maybe you can't aim for shit doesn't mean you're a bad player right like there's so many other things you could do that could be useful in a game except if the game is just about aiming and shooting then yeah you're kind of going to be a bad player Unless they give you other ways to play it, maybe abilities, maybe unlockables, maybe you can play the map in some, in some sort of way. I just think that you're never really going to see an MMO say, oh, we're this big, you know, knowledge-based MMO where it's all about skills and builds. Like, think Guild Wars 1. To me, that's like one of the ultimate examples, uh, Shadowbane as well, where those games were not mechanically difficult games in the slightest. But they were very much big brain games where if you knew the game and you knew how builds worked and how abilities work and how to counter them and how to counter certain builds, you were a top player. That's how you got good at those games. That's the more extreme end on that, on that end of the spectrum, right? And then Dark Falls, the Quake 360 no-scopers on the other end. It's like, so if you want to choose one of those as the way that you build your game, then you have to make that decision. All right, this is the kind of game I'm going to build. And so therefore... I want to have depth in my game because you can choose not to do this, but your game is not going to have very much depth in its combat. And I think, sorry, I don't, I don't want this to be a shit on the current MMO segment, but it's like current MMOs out there right now don't really have combat systems that I'm proud of as a fan of MMOs or combat systems, period, right? Like none of these combat systems, I would ever feel proud enough to like brag to somebody. And that's where it kind of makes me realize, like, for some people, it really is just a matter of how many other games have you played. For example, if Black Desert Online is your favorite game, and that's a game that you think has the best combat, it's like, have you played single-player games? Have you played co-op games? Have you played ARPGs? Because I would argue they have better combat than that. And so you might say, but yeah, but, like, why are you saying it's, it's this MMO versus... Well, because, first off, Black Desert Online is barely an MMO, by definition, right? If even you can consider it to be an MMO. And then second off, when it, when it comes to Black Desert Online, right, my biggest problem with that game is that it's a lot more on perception. And that's the part that, like, I guess, fucks with me the most, that annoys me, is that it looks like you're getting the action-packed Darkfall Online physics-based engine Jedi Academy kind of fucking experience. And when you play the game, you realize it's a lot more tab-target action combat-y than maybe you originally thought. And yet, it's not really described as that. Like, I'm, I hear it described very often as an action combat game. And it's like, I realize it's because the bar is so fucking low for MMO combat that when you get a game like Black Desert Online, it's heralded as this, like, great combat game just because it's basically in this vacuum of MMOs. It's like, well, in the concept or in the context of MMOs, it's pretty shit, right? Or it's pretty good, right? In the context of other MMOs, yeah, it's pretty good. But, but that's not the argument here, guys. The argument is, it, does it match other games, period, as well? right? Why do we always have to just make it about MMOs? As if MMOs haven't taken aspects from single-player games, right? As if they can't learn from single-player games or other multiplayer games. I mean, I absolutely think they can. And so that's why, like, when I say this, like, it's really a big design a decision you have to make early on is, like, if I'm going to focus on mechanical skill for my game as a big focus, it means I have to have a more powerful engine. It means I have to be willing to deal with performance issues because my game having way more inputs, way more people on screen is going to create more lag, right? So I have to be worried about that as well. 
Same thing with projectiles, right? I have to be worried about these things if I'm going to choose that as my path uh, for my game. In the same way that if I think about the knowledge uh, aspects, I can't think about not making my game have any mechanical ability because that also has downsides to it. So it's like, I don't want to sit here and say that, oh, it's just the, the solutions in between because I think that that's also hard to do. I just think you just have to be honest. Like developers just have to be honest. Like what kind of game do you want to create? Um, I think Camelot Unchained is a good example of this. They've basically taken the tab target combat system, but kind of beefed it up and given it uh, projectiles, given it the ability to create walls that can block projectiles, and then also given you the ability to um, uh, aim your abilities, right? Like arrows and spells. and So it, adding even just simple things like that adds more mechanical skill to a game like... Um, Camelot Unchained, right? Because without that aspect, it's a lot like Dark Age of Camelot, which didn't have those aim aspects. You see what I'm saying? So it's like, it's not even that we're necessarily saying, hey, you need to make the jump to full physics engines because, I mean, that has a lot of problems, right? It's more that if we're going to look at the past and think like, how can we learn going forward in the future? If we're just going to take the exact same combat system, but then actually literally take away like, I, I mean, games that are coming out in modern day MMO, like, context, they're actually, like, going backwards in terms of combat, right? They're less complex. There's less build options. There's less um, ways to specialize. There's less open-ended skill systems, right? And so it's like, okay, so what do we get in return that's so much better than that, right? And Elder Scrolls Online, for example, let's talk about that. What do we get in Elder Scrolls Online that matches that great level of depth that we're used to with Elder Scrolls games in terms of how you build your character, right? We don't really get that in Elder Scrolls Online. So, like, what do we get in return? Shittier than Elder Scrolls Combat? You know what I'm saying? Like, that's what we traded this for, was to get a little bit better looking combat and kind of a little bit sexier graphics. That was the trade-off. For me, that's just not a good enough trade-off. And so I look at every combat system like that. It says, like, what combat, what combat system does Elder Scrolls focus on the most? I'm going to say it's an example of being right in between. And I think that's why it sucks. Because it doesn't focus too much on knowledge. And it doesn't focus too much on mechanics. So instead what you get is this game that doesn't offend either side. But it also doesn't impress either side. You see what I'm saying? It's like the knowledge-based MMO player, and they're out there, they still exist. Someone in chat, I'm sure right now, will say I'm that kind of player. They're, they're not going to play that kind of game because they're thinking like, there's no, there's no diversity. Most of these classes play the same. People are playing the same kind of builds. Like, it, it means I have to play like the meta. Like Those people don't want to play games like that. And so then like the super action-oriented, you know, the guy who has really good aim, the guy who has the crazy reflexes, is he going to play Elder Scrolls Online just for that either? I don't think so. I think he'd go play Black Desert, or he'd go play Vindictus, or he'd go play Terra, or he'd go play, uh, shit, Darkfall has an old server still around somewhere. Like, they'd go play a game like that. Why would they play Elder Scrolls for the action combat? They'd play another MMO for the action combat. Guild Wars 2. I don't know why we didn't mention that. Planetside, right? So what, combat-wise, is a reason that you would choose a game like Elder Scrolls Online? I, I honestly don't know. And that's kind of my problem with how combat systems have devolved in the MMO context. It's like, we're not even getting like a path any any direction. Like it's not like, oh, this game's hard to play because it requires aim, or this game is hard to play because it requires all this knowledge. We're just getting games that are just like 
smack dab in the middle, so you're not getting any of that nuance. Sad. Flamberge was a small indie game I played at a con. I like how they handled skill. There was a ta uh, targeting system to hit abilities, but it did less damage. If you free-aimed abilities, you did max damage. Yeah, so actually, uh, um, Galaxies had the same exact idea early on as well. It's a good idea. It's one that's kind of like that um, in-between uh, aspect, right? And, and I think it's important, by the way... Um, I don't want to make the argument seem like you either pick one or, uh, or the other. I think you can actually find that there's a lot of middle ground in certain aspects. Like, say, for example, I want my game, the game that I'm working on, to have projectiles in an attack-moving, orb-walking, um, spell-weaving, whatever you want to call it. There's a lot of different terms and terminology. I want my game to have those aspects. The reason for that is because it benefits the players who have the mechanical skill to pull off those things, right? And, and Card and I had this discussion uh, personally where I said, I want somebody to be able to fire off a fireball and think, man, this is pretty difficult to do. I don't know if I want to be the guy who just shoots fireballs. But then there's a guy over there who's shooting fireballs out the wazoo, and he's like, I love this place. I love aiming all of my fireballs and having them explode everywhere. This is awesome. So one man's trash is another man's treasure kind of thing, you know? And so how do I find also a play style for that guy who doesn't want to have to aim all of his projectiles? He can play a tank. Maybe he can play a magic uh, wielder who's maybe more melee based. Maybe he can play somebody who does touch spells, right? Like uh, necromancers in Guild Wars uh, 1 had touch spells. Um, there's different ways to kind of handle that. And so that, that's just a big thing for me is like, you, in my personal opinion, if your game doesn't have enough mechanical ability, it's always going to be revolving around the meta. Knowledge, games that are knowledge-based are very off-putting to a majority of non-hardcore players, primarily in the same way that the... Let, let's just talk about why a knowledge-based game could be off-putting to casual players. Because if you don't know the formula, doesn't matter if you're a good player. What I mean is, is like if you're playing Guild Wars 1, and you do not know how combat or how the meta functions in Guild Wars, like in actually the AV8 Guild Wars, because yes, it wasn't just called Guild Wars, it actually used to have Guild Wars. It doesn't matter how mechanically great you are, how great your aim is, and you know, like how fast of a player you are, because none of that matters. None of that shit matters. So once you kind of realize that, you're like, oh, so that means that the main thing that functions in this game that gives me skill is actually just knowing how the abilities work. Knowing how to make a build, knowing how to make a, uh, a rotation, right? What's my skill rotation? When to use certain abilities? In the same way that when you go and look at a game like Smash Brothers Melee, you know that no matter how smart you are at the game, no matter how brilliant you are, you could be the biggest brain ever. If you don't know how to move those sticks, you're not going to get really far with the game. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, It's just one of those things you kind of have to know what game you're playing and know if it suits you. MMOs, in my opinion, compared to that, can be a lot more inclusive in the sense that you can offer a playstyle to somebody who doesn't have the ability for 360 no scope aim. Just in the same way, you can offer a playstyle to the guy that can do 360 no scope aim. <laughs> you can have both of those playstyles in your game. It's just difficult to do if you make certain design decisions early on. So if you decide that your game's only going to be knowledge-based early on, and so therefore your combat system like Albion Online, let's just talk about Albion Online for a second. 
Albion Online's combat system was designed for mobile. And so even though it didn't really come out on mobile and they pushed it heavily uh, coming out on Steam, because they built the game to come out on mobile, it severely hamstruck the way the game played combat-wise. So there's not a whole lot of mechanical skill in that game. It's a big reason why the game suffers from a lot of the same problems that a lot of other games that are similar to it, EVE Online, suffer from, which is just, if you can solve the problem with Zerging, then why not just Zerg, right? Just Zerg. That's like the thing you end up doing. I like Albion as an example, though, because if you gave Albion to me the IP and you said, okay, how would you make it more kind of mechanical? It might be hard for me to do because I don't even know if the engine that they're using has that capability. I don't even know if given the framework of the game they've created, if it's possible at that point, right? But what I could do with their game is give it more strategic depth, right? I could say, well, let's create some special builds, some special like uh, combos and things like that. I could, I could fix maybe like uh, tactical elements of the game, but I wouldn't be able to really help on the mechanical element. But if I had a game like Darkfall, for example, let's say I own the Darkfall IP now for the sake of the, the discussion, well, I don't need to worry about all the mechanical stuff. I just need to focus on the skill-intensive um, knowledge-based stuff because that's what the game lacks on. You see what I'm saying? So I think it's just, it's much harder when you make those design decisions early on and you don't even realize what decisions you're making. So like when you've made your game a lot more focused on having as much animation quality, particle effects, and all of these other things in your game as possible, it's less likely that you're going to have a combat system that allows for you to have a lot of players on screen, right? You're not going to be able to, to satisfy both of those audiences. You can't have arena-style combat where it's like dodging left and right in this crazy like Jedi Academy one versus one physics engine. Like You're not really going to have that kind of combat, at least in the current you know, um, state of affairs. You're not going to have that combat at a mass scale. It's just not really, it's not really probable, I should say. It's not very likely. So it's like it's more likely that you would find a middle ground. Maybe you don't need a full physics-based engine. Maybe you just make some things based on physics, right? Ability to read gear, loadouts, builds, and knowing your execution code, adapting to certain outcomes. runescape combat is the 100% knowledge base i think they had to do a couple weapon switches depending on your build but yeah I, I think i could probably say that's pretty true right yeah i i just um this is one of those things where i, I feel like combat becomes one of the last things you think about with mmos and i can understand why from the perspective of as a genre is combat really as important in an mmo compared to other uh, genres, I wouldn't argue that, right? I think it's more important in an action game. I think it's more important in a shooter. That being said, um, if there's nothing else to do in the game except fight, then the if the combat sucks, then that means that the thing that I can do the most in the game has the worst combat system that I've experienced. You see what I'm saying? Like That's MMOs in a nutshell. MMOs in a nutshell are like, all right, we have this just basic tab target combat system because, you know, combat's not a big focus in MMOs. And I'm like, great, okay. And then I get into the game and I'm like, wait, so is just combat the main focus of the game? Because if combat's the main focus, 
then why do you have a shitty combat system? You see what I'm saying? It's like, you're not doing yourself any favors by doing that. That's why I almost like in some ways have enjoyed games that don't really have a lot of combat uh, in MMOs almost more than I have in games that have more combat. It's just like I've liked that there's more to do in those other games than just fight all the time, right? Like I've mentioned it before, I grew up playing uh, Abo Hotel and then also I played uh, Coke Zero, or sorry, Coke, I think they called it Coke Music, Coke Music back in the day. And these were these different like social avatar uh, MMO type things. And what I liked about them is that a big focus of those games was just chatting, it was just being social, right? It wasn't like fighting each other, it wasn't like killing each other. And so I'm used to MMOs where you don't just kill each other all the time, or you don't just kill mobs all the time. And I notice sometimes when I'll play MMOs, even with some of my friends, I'll notice like how impatient they are as players. Like for example, like they wanna move everywhere and they're, they're constantly killing and killing, let's go, let's go, let's go. Where are we going, where are we going? And I'm kind of like, oh yeah, sorry, yeah, go. Like, because I'm so used to playing these other MMOs where you're just like chatting. You know, you're just like, hey, what's going on? And sometimes you almost forget about that. I don't mind tab target if the mobs make you think about your different options. Balancing outliers must be a nightmare when someone is just a mechanical prodigy. I think so too, but I think that's why you have to limit it. Like, if you base design your game around being a quake shooter, then don't be surprised when the best player in your game, which was the case in Darkfall, by the way, was one of the best shooter players we had. Like, in fact, you guys are going to laugh at this, but one of the best players early on went on to play on C9 later on in Overwatch. You see what I'm saying? Like, that's, who the, that's the kind of quality of player we were playing with in early Darkfall. We're literal professional shooter players who also just liked the fact that this game was an MMO. Um, I, I, I guess I could say the player's name, Kai Kai. You guys remember Kai Kai? He was on C9 for like at least two years, like a good amount of time he was on C9. He used to play Darkfall. And, and so like, yeah, like in a way, if you design your game like that, don't be surprised when a guy like Kai Kai is shitting on everyone or when like the top Quake players on our server shit on everybody, right? It, it's not really surprising that that happened. What was surprising is that the developers didn't do anything to fix that, right? They didn't find any other ways to build the game or, or balance the game they kind of just threw up some band-aid fixes. For example, mages were super powerful in the game, and it was because essentially, once you got past the immense grind it took to create a mage, you were just way more efficient uh, based on money and um, uh, effort and DPS. And so Darkfall, uh, their developer, Aventurine, their solution to this was kind of a, what I call a band-aid fix. They added a couple of different class systems, and were like, all right, these class systems, uh, one of them is if you're wearing a staff, you take more damage. And the other one was, uh, well, if you have a bow, you do more damage to somebody who's uh, using magic. And it's like, okay, so these are kind of like in a way to balance this out, right? Except it didn't balance the fact that the gear still cost way more for the player who wasn't playing magic because they don't have magic, right? So their gear has to be way better to resist the magic. But if their gear is way better to resist magic, it means they can't use the magic themselves as effectively. So then they're not using the most effective thing in the game. You see what I'm saying? So it's like they didn't, I don't know why they did that, why they just relied on a Band-Aid fix there, why they didn't go for something that was more inclusive. Maybe it was just a matter of they weren't really sure how bad of a problem it was. But I find that hard to believe because, you know, having played the game back then, I could see it myself. 
even as a person who abused the fact that I was a good aimer, okay? like I can argue, and you know, if any of my Darkfall uh, friends want to hit me up, you know, we can always duel to test this out. But uh, I think shot for shot, I'm one of the best archery shots in Darkfall, right? I've consistently performed well. I've gone to the tournaments. I've dueled the quote unquote the best players, right? And I've been consistently good at shooting my damn because I like doing archery. Now, you're hearing from somebody who says, okay, you can believe me and, and believe me that I'm good at it, right? If someone like me is also going to then make the argument to you that that play style is still not nearly as effective as playing magic, would you be willing to listen to me or would you just think that I'm saying that because I don't like the fact that I get shit on by someone who's using magic? If you're in the game, you'll take it as like, oh, you just suck, so like you're losing to magic. But it's like, it's actually because in order for me to hit an arrow and do max damage on somebody, I have to basically be pixel perfect, right? This is me. With my arrow, I have to pixel perfect with my shot, right? I gotta be pixel perfect with my shot. The magic guy can fire his AoE at the ground, still get a bit of a knock, a knock up and get damage on it. And so you might be asking, yeah, but he only gets a little bit of damage and he only knocks you up a little bit. But what if there was a spell that could blind you right after when you're in midair? So you can't really change your momentum once you're in midair, right? So that would knock you up in the air, ray you so you're blinded, and once you land again, then they'll hit you with another nuke that'll send you right up through the air. Now you're flying up through the air, and then you land back down, and they've at least hit one or two more spells on you. This is very, very, very typical. Go look up right now, Darkfall Online PvP. I guarantee you will see something similar to what I'm describing right now. So what does the archer do in that context? He can just keep trying to bow, but he's getting knocked around, blinded, and, and, and thrown in every which way. So it's like it's pretty difficult for him to just use his range combat. So you know what an archer player has to do in Darkfall? You have to go melee. Even if you're an archer-centric player, I tried to build my playstyle almost only around shooting the bow. I almost like never wanted to do melee with people. It was because I was playing on a European server and my ping was horrible. So in melee, I would just get shit on by like any, any player who was like top 50 would shit on me. Most of the time, I'll say. Like in a one-on-one -on -one scenario, they would shit on me. Maybe in a group fight, I can do a little bit better because I'm sneaky and things like that. But like generally speaking, if I'm dueling someone straight up in melee, they would shit on me. And so I adapted the archery playstyle as a way to kind of like not have to deal with the ping disadvantage, right? But the point that I'm making is that somebody like me who dedicated all that time and effort to learn this playstyle, play this playstyle, and it's a difficult playstyle to play, felt like it wasn't a very rewarding playstyle. That just tells me that there's something kind of wrong with your game. You know what I mean? It's like when you're playing like the most fun of a place, like I love shooting bows. Projectiles are my favorite thing in any game, and I love shooting a bow as a projectile. So if you guys didn't already know that about me, I love shooting bows. Um, I have always gravitated towards playing uh, archers or sniper type characters. Um, there, there's really not a whole lot of games out right now that have my interest in that fashion, I would say. But um, I do have my eyes on Mountain Blade, of course, the newest Mountain Blade. Those games are always fun to play. And then, of course, you know, you're seeing it in a lot of current MMOs they're starting to add things like projectiles into their game. They're starting to make it actually require some level of skill and aim in order to shoot somebody. And um, I think that that's awesome.
but I think it's also important that we don't forget what MMOs were kind of always originally based on. Knowledge, right? So that's my long ass fucking hour long rant about combat, but I feel like I don't have to make that again. Maybe I can cut that up and put that somewhere. I do love Hanzo, by the way. <laughs> yeah, so my, my, my old character, so I've, I've for, for a little bit of history here, if you're wondering why I'm good at the bow, I played a chivalry, um, Age of Chivalry was a Valve source mod, a Half-Life 2 source mod. I think it came out in like 05, and so I played that game 1,000 hours into that game. Then Medieval Warfare 1 came out, right? Uh, Chivalry Medieval Warfare, I should say, came out. Then Deadliest Warrior came out. Then Mordhau. All these other games, Mountain Blade, have come out since then. And so I've only been playing Archer, Archer, and Archer, and all of these games, Archer, and Archer, and Archer. And um, I've always kind of, whenever I've played the multiplayer version, gotten uh, ridiculed. Like, anyone who uh, here who plays Archery a lot, you know that you get ridiculed all the time. People will say, oh, like... Fuck you, archers. <laughs> People hate archers. I mean, we're kind of annoying. We just shoot you and run away. I'm not going to lie. That's my play style. I'll shoot your ass and then I'll run away. Um, and so what you'll get called a lot of the time, especially in sh chivalry and FFA servers, is they'll say, pussy, pussy archer, pussy archer. So I just used to name myself um, Pussy Archer. And yeah, that was my that was my meme name for a while before I got big on uh or got bigger on YouTube, and then I was like, oh, I should probably change this name. People are gonna think that I'm trying to say something else or trying to be like edgy and cool when it's more of like people always call me a pussy archer. More of like a I am a pussy archer, so I, I just already had like the insult ready because it was already in my name. So they'd be like pussy archer, and I'd be like me. <laughs> You should play Rust. I used to play Rust. I used to always do the Battle Royale maps. By the way, I think Rust is a game um, that has some pretty good aim in it. Like there, you have to have pretty good aim to be good at Rust. If you've never won a Battle Royale in Rust, you might not have good aim in that game. That's kind of my belief. I feel like we have a generation who likes MMOs but not to play with others. Huh. I think that's a very good way to put it. Yeah, we do have a generation who likes MMOs but doesn't want to play with others. I think it's it's like um it's something that's been more and more forgotten. Like I even think about culturally where I'm from here in Texas and growing up I remember when you're a young kid and you don't really have a car, you always would eat somewhere, right? You'd eat at the place. And I notice now like I'll just be observing people and like they're always getting their and that's a big that's a common thing here in america other countries are kind of almost taken aback by it because it happens so much but uh here in america people are usually eating while they're moving they're eating while they're driving they're eating while they're doing other things and i think that food is a big part of being social and that's the a big thing that people miss out on is being social when they're eating because they'd rather just eat at their desk or kind of eat on their own and i don't know i'm i'm one of those people who is a big believer in eating as a group Save that rant and make a video. <laughs> In a recent popular private alpha, they had to nerf the combat to the ground because some players just dominated too much. And Bannerlord? Yeah, it's just one of those things, dude. It's like, that's why I understand why people don't build their game like 
because it's always going to happen. You're going to have the fucking, and not, I'm not that guy anymore, right? You're going to have the next generation of guy. Like, guys, I was, like, good for a gamer back then. Like, when I think about the amount of time gamers put in these days, guys, like, I'm talking about professional level players, not just casual players, because casual players are more numerous than they used to be. But, like, pro level players these days, I told you that I quit my desire to be a pro player in Overwatch primarily because when I got the chance to get a tryout with a team that was sponsored at the time, Selfless, I've talked about this before, the guy told me that you had to play 12 hours to be on the team. 12 hours. And I was like, how in the fuck can I play 12 hours when I have a girlfriend, I have a dog, I got to pay my rent, <laughs> I got to pay my food? Like, how the fuck? How the fuck could I just play for 12 hours without making any money? Well, I realized it's because that's the next generation. You see what I'm saying? Like, that's the next generation of gamer. They're willing to put in all of that time. I'm not willing to put that shit in. Like, I wasn't willing to put in all that time to, to make 20 grand a year, to make 30 grand a year. You know what I'm saying? It just wasn't worth it for me. Instead, I make less than that now, but at least I get to do exactly what I want to do, right? I don't have to worry about doing 12-hour sessions so some fucking, you know, internet kid can tell me I should do 12 more. Oh, it's horrible, Alondris, because in order to compete with the top players, you do have to do that. In this current day and age, esports is so fucking competitive in shooters and games like Overwatch. Like, it's all, like, games that are based on teamwork, like, MOBAs and, and, and Overwatch, I think, are all about playing just fuck tons with your team. And that's like, that's exhausting, man. Like, you guys wondering or ever have wondered why these big streamers are going to Mixer? It's because they'd rather get guaranteed money and not have to stream as many hours. It's just because, like, streaming is a lot of money for people, but it also is a lot of time investment. That's why I don't do it a lot, honestly. It's just like, it's so... It exhausts me even though I like doing it. And so like I couldn't imagine if that was like my job to do all the time, like 10 hour days <clears throat> streaming all the damn time. It's not for me. I'd rather, you know, have time to myself to write and uh, even just talk to people about ideas. You know, like I, I appreciate doing that a lot more than I do <clears throat> streaming what I'm playing for eight hours. Playing MMOs with others gets really annoying when it is your 15th guild and you just can't deal with the shit that people are doing anymore. I also think that social media may have impacted on how people don't want to be social on MMOs. They are all the time on social media, so they are mostly overwhelmed with social interaction. So I can actually speak about this myself, Vindictus, because um, <clears throat> I'm that way. And people who've played WoW with me have probably noticed that, but if you've played any game with me, you probably noticed that. A lot of the time that I'm hanging out with you guys or talking to you guys or whatever else, I'm probably already tired because I've already been on the computer for a long period of time. So it's like sometimes whenever I decide to want to play Classic WoW, you're right. I don't get on to just have a chat with everyone all the time. Maybe I don't even join voice comms, right? I'm just chatting with people in, in guild chat. But that's not because I'm not social. It's more like I'm getting messages and people trying to contact me like all the time and I just need to play the game as well. You know what I mean? Like if I just talk or I just do activities then I'm not actually going to experience the game that I'm trying to experience. I'm trying to review. There's a lot of stuff that goes into that. So I find that myself that that is a harder thing about this kind of job is 
it's hard to ever feel like you can just have the time to yourself to be able to play because MMOs are not designed in that way. Um, but uh, I think that in the case of other people, it's more of like when you've grown up without having to have some sort of connection to those around you, it, it's more likely that you're going to start to think about it on an or in the context of an online social media website, which is just like, I don't really know you. We're not really related or know each other in any way, shape or form, but we're like, we share each other's information. We follow each other. We whatever each other. But you don't really know that person. You're not really interacting with that person, right? MMOs are like, I mean, you're literally setting time aside to go hang out with people. You know what I'm saying? Like to go do an activity with people, to um, to go like work on a goal together. And that is kind of, I don't know. I guess I don't know how to put it other than it's just, I do think times are changing in that sense because you don't see that as much. But I don't think it's because people have changed because people are social creatures, right? We're social beings. I think it's more that the systems have kind of slowly deteriorated and no longer are offering that same benefit. So we need new, better systems, basically. D&D was about casually chilling with friends and enjoying a fantasy adventure you would alone with a book. Streaming becomes a lifestyle if you decide to make a living off of it. Eight hours, yeah, essentially. The skill ceiling for gaming is absurdly high right now. I feel like a B player today would be hailed as a god in their clan back in... Oh, yeah, 100%. 100%. I can't deny that. I've, I've actually... um, I'll talk about this a bit, but then I want to bring on Card and Limpos so we can talk about our weekly topic for the week. But uh, Which is about the... What is your opinion of grinding in an MMO? Which is described as killing the same monsters in, over and over again for stat, level, money, or XP gain. That's the question for the week. Um, chew on that a little bit, guys. We'll get to that one in a bit. But I wanted to make a point about um, what somebody just said in chat. <clears throat> right. Oh, yeah. So um, when I've played uh, recently, like, I would say that the game that I've been the best at ever has probably been Halo 2. Probably the game I spent the most time actually trying to get really, really good at it. And so every now and then I'll hop on the sticks on Xbox because it's not on PC yet. Unfortunately, I don't have access to the damn flights yet. I can't even test it, but um, I'm playing on the Xbox and I'll join like an MLG lobby. And I'm like, man, these guys are good. And, and like we're just getting annihilated by some of these guys because these guys have obviously just been grinding their rank 50s and shit. I mean, these are just good players to where, like, if you try and fight them in the typical ways to fight, and I mean, like, you know, you're challenging them with your BR, you're trying to get, like, snipe shots and stuff like that, you're going to have a hard time. But what I did kind of notice, and I think this is, like, a thing that you just learn with, with experience and with age, is you learn how to be a little bit craftier. You got to be smarter and craftier when the reflexes aren't there as much anymore. And you can't put as much time in. So, like, I've noticed that now the kind of player that I've gravitated towards more when it comes to being uh, a player who you plays shooters, I should say, is kind of controlling spawns, you know? Like, you're, you're paying attention to power weapons. You're, 
when somebody when you when you pick somebody off you know that they're going to come right out of spawn again so you're just waiting for them and you're getting that easy kill again like that's more of my playstyle now it's a lot more of like trickery i feel like it's a lot more of kind of uh looking for like moments of opportunity than like kind of like ex exploiting that because i can't just be the super god tier br you know out br everybody guy my whole life like i don't think that's really possible like We'll see how it is on PC, but I don't think I'm going to be like I was, right? I think those reflexes are deteriorated at this point from playing so many games and getting a little bit older. That being said, it doesn't mean that I'm like necessarily a worse gamer. It doesn't mean that I'm a worse competitor. Like You learn other skills, and I think that's a hard thing for a lot of original MMO fans is they're not really interested in these games becoming way more mechanical because like, they're older generation players, so they never came up with games like that. They never had experience with games like that. And I think that's a big reason why so much of the industry has been hesitant to kind of change. It's like the MMO crowd is a little bit older. But I think um I think times are changing. Players are playing games that require way more mechanical skill than ever required back in the day. Um, besides maybe like StarCraft. That's still a big popular game that's still ridiculously hard to play. It still exists. Shit, I should do a um a remastered stream of that sometime so you guys can watch me get bopped by people. Because I remember when I used to play StarCraft Online, um, I used to play even on iCup League. I was like a C minus player, like I was not that great, and I would just get bopped all. If the guy had like those little bars in his name, aka he was a career player. Either I would choke or I would just get shit on, right? <laughs> um, but anyway, I just I'm I'm ranting about that. You zoomers with your skill based game get out of my video role play games. <laughs> you text when you test your reaction time at 30 and it's 190 million. More like grind in every online game in 2019. Good point. Did we switch role play with grind for socializing online? Huh. I don't know. That's a good question. Let's bring on the panel for the week. Let's bring on uh, Card and Limpos and see what they have to say about our weekly topic. What FPS were we talking about? Oh, uh, Halo. Halo's my game. So as soon as that game's playable on PC, come join the Discord. Come get shit on. Come learn that I'm the real deal. Whatever you gotta do. I'm just kidding. But just come play some community games with us because we're gonna try and do like weekly, a day um, dedicated to Halo games every week. Where we're gonna have community games being run hopefully have uh, signups for like little tournaments and objective matches and capture the flag and big team battles. And I want to do a lot more things where we can play together. Um, me and then you guys play together. MMOs are a little bit hard to do that because many of them require such big time investments. So it's like, you're not really going to play with me casually in that context, right? Like if you're going to play, you're going to play with me a lot. Like, don't get me wrong. I've had the pleasure of playing with some of you guys in MMO so far, and I've very much appreciated that. Uh, just to shout out a couple of names from my current guild, you know, Baconite, uh, Slyhoof, uh, Archie, I played with uh, Gaz, or you guys know him as Ace Pilot. I met him from uh, the community. A couple other people too, uh, Daedalus, he's here I think right now, played with him, met him from the community. So like I've had Simgod, and I have a couple other names too. So I've been lucky and fortunate enough to be able to play with some people from the community and uh, MMOs. 
But uh, I think shooters are just a lot more accessible. That's why I'm hoping whenever Master Chief Collection is playable on PC, if if it's possible to have dedicated servers, we're going to have dedicated servers. And uh, if not, then we're going to have a dedicated day to playing Halo. I just, I love the game. It's so much fun for me. I never get bored of it. I honestly don't. And uh, I'd love to play a bunch of community games with these uh, guys sometime. That'd be fun. Great idea on community. Yeah, no, for sure. I've been playing a lot of Destiny PvP and Arena Shooters, so you're ready. All right, man, just know that the beautiful thing about Halo as a game is no matter how good of a shooter you are, if you haven't played Halo, you're at a great, great disadvantage to the, to the Halo lords like myself because it's just a feel, it's a movement kind of thing. You get used to the movement and... Um, I honestly think, like, I really implore you guys who haven't got the chance to play it yet, when it comes out on PC, play the, um, play whatever version of Halo. Like, don't just pick one version of Halo and stick to that version. Like, play the open playlist, where it allows you to play Halo 1, 2, 3, 4, and Reach. And I say that because, although you might think, yeah, I just want to focus on one, like, get that Halo, but it's like, that's not really that, that's not the fun part of it, first off. The fun part is having all the variety. But second off, you're actually going to get better at Halo if you play the other Halos as well. Because you'll kind of realize, oh, this Halo functions like this. This Halo functions like that. This Halo, you see what I'm saying? And it, I don't think it takes away from your skill. I think it actually makes you a better player. I'll have you know I was the best Halo guy in my neighborhood as a kid. I feel like a lot of people were. That's usually the first tier of like getting good at something got to be the best in your neighborhood <laughs> if you're not the best in your neighborhood are you going to be the best in your state or region or your country hey what's up card and limpos greetings hello hello all right so i want one of you guys to go first but i'll go ahead and start with the uh the topic for the week what is your opinion of grinding in a mmo and grinding is explained as killing the same monsters over and over again for a stat, level, money, or experience gain. Well, I'm going to steal it to start. In my opinion, and I also mentioned this in uh, our discussion earlier on uh, Discord, for those of you who don't know, we also discussed some of the topics uh, beforehand, so do rank up the junior detective, all of you. In my opinion, the grind, as in killing the same mob over and over and over and over again, is a sign of poor game design. Because it does mean that you need to extract play, extract more time and time and time out of players in order for them to get something. But instead of making it a interesting or challenging uh, thing that you have to do, you just tell them to mindlessly press a few key buttons over and over and over again, at which point you're wondering, like, why don't I use a bot for this? So that's pretty much the short and simple version of my opinion on that matter. I guess mine is more elaborate. Um, I would generally say it comes down to how you implement it into the game, because I think you should should pro you should aim as much as possible to ingrain it into the standard progress of the game 
as much as you can and hide it and make it part of the just core aspect of the game. And because to some extent, sometimes you end up farming without realizing it. It's like you end up killing mobs and just by the sheer nature of what you're doing otherwise. It's like be it uh, out hunting for uh resources and end up killing mobs because they're in your way or you're going to some specific place for some specific uh reason you end up killing mobs as well because they're just in your way so the more you can implement it into the core aspect of the game the more natural it becomes and i think the better you do that the less it actually becomes a grind and the less it uh, impacts players and the less you sort of realize that yeah this is essentially just an aspect of the game that the developer wants you to do for whatever reason it might be if it's as you say for money or for um on the resources i can't help but feel like part of it uh, matters on your definition obviously what grinding is but what's considered fun to you because i think fun is a big part of grind where if you see something as fun you're a lot less likely to see it as a grind for example um when you look at uh ranking up in a i don't know multiplayer shooter playing the game itself should be at least somewhat fun otherwise you're basically just grinding to get a higher level right and it's like that's where it becomes not as fun where you feel like you're not having fun playing the game and yet you still want to get a higher level, so you kind of are grinding, and that's... I think it's... Uh, again, I grab two games. One, some would call MMO. I would not. Another one is definitely not an MMO. Uh, for the one that some could call MMOs are the wargaming titles, for example, and the same goes for War Thunder and stuff like that, where you grind to tiers of ships, tanks, planes, whatever. So you start at tier one and you go up to whatever the highest tier is. Like for Wargaming it's tier 10 and War Thunder has like some weird ass system that I can't understand. So whatever. At that point it can be really fun or it can be extraordinarily tedious, completely dependent on wherever you happen to be in the line, what ship you're having that you need to grind through. Like these days, they've made it somewhat better, but there are still plenty of sh ships out there. For example, World of Warships, which early on, they were just like, when you hit that, people call those free XP ships because you would just use your accumulated free experience to skip the grind on those ships entirely because they were so horrible to play. So at that point, it's not fun at all, but there were other ships that are out there. You just like you're playing them and you actually keep them after you'd already done to the next year because they're just a whole bunch of fun to play. So yeah, that's a different thing, but that's also a form of grind that is repetitive, but not repetitive. As in the challenge that you face, each match is going to be different. You're facing different opponents. People are going to be doing different things because that's the nature of PVP. As a result, I think as in my definition, it's not really the grind that I really dislike, as in killing those same mobs over and over again, or 
walking around and picking away at the same nodes, which is doesn't require anything of me. Which you know we're finding a lot of MMOs. Another game that I find, for example, some people would call it a grind, is like what I did in Ghost Recon Wildlands. It's like, yeah, those bases, there are just a couple of enemy types, and I still clear one base after the other base, and you know, I find it apparently entertaining. So perhaps if that was in my MMO, then I would not mind it as much. But there is also, there is still this level of difficulty to it, and it still requires you to actively think about what you're doing uh, before you do it, while you're doing it. So you're continuously engaged with what you're doing. And the definition of grind for me when, like I said, with uh, killing those same mobs, there is just, there is no level of engagement. There's no stimulation. It's just, I'm whacking the same cobalt over 300 times. And you know, there are days I can do that. But honestly, I can never say that that is fun because there's just nothing out of it. And like in the end, a game, you always want to have a bit of a challenge, in my opinion. Yeah, I I agree. And um, the example I was going to use was uh, shooters because for shooters, it's so ingrained uh, as part of the uh, core element of the game, shooting other people. It's like, and what do you grind? Well, you grind kills on different weapons, if at which might unlock other weapons or it might unlock certain skill, not skills, skins. Um, and yeah, that's sort of just a natural progress throughout the game that you're, you're playing the game, but you're equally so also grinding to some extent. Art Slayer showing us all the secret Discord stuff. Ah. No, actually, I was just trying to see if um, I could f uh, figure out the overlay while you guys were talking. <laughs> ah. Yeah, we still need to figure it out what I was right. Doing it live, doing it live. Yeah, basically. Um, but to, to further on the topic a little bit, though, <clears throat> so we have somewhere to go. W when you look at it from the perspective of Let's use WoW as an example. Grinding to hit max level. Do you see that as a flaw of the game because the game is based around leveling and is based around uh, the process of um, a questing? And so grinding as a choice, if you were to choose grinding, do you would see that, or would any of you see that as like, you're kind of saying, well, we think questing sucks. You see what I'm saying? Or is it more that um, in the case of like Black Desert Online, maybe somebody would argue, that's kind of the purpose of the game is just to grind. So I wanted to bring up those two points and I was curious what you guys thought about those. Do you mean um, that you grind mobs as you quest or you grind mobs instead of questing? Instead of questing, in lieu of questing. Oh, I've not heard about that. In... I do that, oh, actually, by the way. I, I, I have heard, but I have to admit that's not something I ever touched because it felt like there was way better methods to do it either through questing or dungeon i i think i've done it a few times and it's especially early on like in the low levels it used to be a method i employed always to get myself a bit of a head start because it it makes uh like experience wise it makes no difference but if you just early on like the difference between being level you know four or being level six could make 
a whole lot of speed difference in your leveling. So I tended to just grind mobs for the first couple of levels and then started the quests. But in generally, I would say if you want a if you want leveling in your game, you need to make it interesting. It needs to be challenging. And if you're gonna say like, oh, you need to in order to level in this game, I need you to kill uh, a thousand boars, ten thousand rats. Uh, uh, for the fun of it, also kill a hundred sheep and uh, <laughs> uh, kill me another five hundred bears. At that point, it's like, in my opinion, as I said earlier, you failed in your game design because where is the challenge in doing any of that? If I can kill ten bears, I probably can kill another five hundred. Like I figured out how I can kill a bear. So either you're going to tell me, like, in order to level up, I need you to kill 10 bears, but the bears are really, really hard to kill, so it takes me a lot of effort to kill a bear. Or you just kind of say, you know, give me some quests and sell me a quest like, okay, there's there are bears over there, I want you to kill a couple, so pick up some of the stuff that's around there. It's like, it's the standard MMO fair. Is it brilliant quest design? No, but is it a lot better than just kill, I know, enormous amounts of bears? Yes. I think it's also going to be quite difficult to make enough boars of difficult <laughs> variations uh, to kill all the way throughout and leveling experience, if that leveling experience is going to be particularly long. I was like, that's a lot of mechanics to put into the game, and I was like, not entirely sure that's uh, viable for an MMO. But yeah, I mean, I agree. Questing certainly is way above just killing mobs, and we've luckily somewhat made it to the point in MMOs where that's not really something people use. People will end up doing simply because questing or dungeoning or PvPing is just better experience and also resource gathering at the same time. So yeah, I mean, it would be nice to see an evolution <laughs> that we end up only having to kill a few mobs, but they're also very, very difficult. Yeah, it's, I think that's an, an evolution that we will see coming. And as, you know, especially as technology evolves, the level of AI that you can make for, you know, your NPC controls and the variations thereof and what they all can do, it's also advancing quite rapidly. So. The, the means are out there to make it happen. So let's hope, uh, especially from like a leveling experience and just a general gearing up and things like that, I hope that that will come to happen. But also like, even if you talk wow, like, okay, maybe we don't need to kill 300 mobs to get my level up, but I still need to farm a hundred nodes to get my uh, blacksmithing up a little bit and my mining up a little bit which I think is also kind of hard because it's just, again, if you look at it from, it's a grind and it's a grind that has no real reward while you do it. I was just going to com comment on, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, the fact that, um, I, I don't know what, I don't know what it is about, um, grinding that does this for me but even in the context of a game where it's like when somebody tells me oh i just it's also fun for me like for example like black desert online players will say well it's also fun for me and i'm like that's probably true right i, I doubt someone is just going to lie about it not being fun for them but if they had experienced a game where you didn't need to grind like that 
and maybe could experience gameplay in another way, shape, or form. You know what I'm saying? Is it, is it like out of the question to think that maybe they just like that because they don't know any better? Or I guess for me, it just seems hard in the context of an MMO, or at least fuck MMO, let's just say world. In the context of a world, it seems kind of strange to just do the same thing over and over again. And yet nothing actually changes from that scenario. I think that's more of a con sequence of not building an actual world if that makes sense so like what i'm saying is is let's say you were farming giraffes or whatever you just kept killing them for their skins well in an actual real world eventually there wouldn't be any more giraffes <laughs> but in video games it's like weird because you can just keep killing the same mob and keep killing it over and over and over and over and over again and i feel like that's what creates this whole grind thing because like we don't talk about farmers as grinders you know what i mean like in real life we're not like oh you're a grinder because you just do the same thing you're like we're kind of like it's more nuanced than that but i feel like we feel that way with games because you know we do something and then it literally just feels like we're doing the same thing over and over again for no purpose other than just to get the experience points but the experience points in themselves don't make it actually feel like it's worth it if you don't find the gameplay fun is what i'm trying to say I think that in that aspect, you almost can't do anything. If it is not fun to do, then I don't think you can introduce many systems that is going to alleviate that flaw. But in aspect to killing and sort of eventually genociding creatures, I think that would become quite problematic very fast because there's only so many creatures that you can put into a world and players would probably end up eradicating them very fast at which point well as a new player and if it's the only way to level up you're kind of screwed yeah you're kind of screwed and also like in farming of course like another good example of farming because it just works to gain what you need is what you've seen in world of warcraft and bfa a lot i'm not sure if it's still i mean i think they made some changes i'm not sure but let's call the 4x4 farm so it's literally two groups of uh four people each and it's just aoe farming everybody pulling everything every in there and every minute and a half or so you loot everything because auto loot area loot you grab everything and people just do that continuously on and on and on to farm for rare drops and also just common stuff that they can sell and whatnot. And I think it's like if if your game boils down to that as a game designer, like you should look at that and be like, why did this happen? How can I make it so that I can still make things as rare as they are needed to be obtainable? So I don't want certain things to be very common, but I also don't want them to be too hard to find out. So how can I create systems for that to be done in a way that's actually intriguing to, uh, again? So. I mean, when it comes to rarity, I would actually say that there is some support to sort of have a um, system where it is just grinding. And that will give you something rare, simply because... <laughs> Um, I think one of the aspects of MMOs that are always interesting is, well, exactly that, rare items. And rare items shouldn't always be readily available just from doing, like, standard things that everyone does. Like, sometimes you need to go out of your way to sort of get something. Because 
if you take something like wow i mean i know that wow have had things that dropped i think even from just standard mobs out in the world you just had to kill thousands upon thousands of mobs to sort of really get it to drop or you had to sit and camp and wait uh, for spe specific mobs be it either as a hunter pet or i think also some flying mounts and uh, ground mounts were sort of things you could get only from certain, um, or only from one creature that only spawned at a like with long periods in between. And I think those kind of grinds do have a place, <laughs> even though they're not fun or anything. But I think to some extent, not everything has to be fun because you also have to show off in some aspects, even even in the boring parts. And I would uh, argue for instead of making it boring, make it challenging. And that's my problem generally with these grinds, like those four four group grinds. There is literally zero challenge to it. The only challenge to it is like, can I stave off the boredom standing in one place for three hours on an end, spamming uh, one or two AOE abilities, like? Or, and you actually see it done also a lot for people just multi boxing, for example. Because it literally requires that l low amount of skill levels. And of course, getting rare drops is part of the thing. I was like, then make it challenging. Like, okay, do hunt down this rare mob, which is going to be a tricky fight. Yeah, work around it in such ways that it's actually, I think, would feel rewarding and it's not just this. Like, I, I just really dislike the mindless grind. Like, I want people that want to be, if you want to show off to me, I, if you're going to show off to me with this mount that I know drops at random from some mobs that people just farm all the time, I am not really going to give a damn about your mount. Because whatever. If you're going to show up to me with this mount that drops from this uh, rare boss, which is a really tricky fight uh, for you to kill, and... I know it's an area with PvP, etc., etc. For example, and okay, drop rate is still rare, so you probably have to kill it a few times. And it's me like, you know what? Respect to you. Like, I knew that took actual effort for you to get that. Well, there is effort in uh, grinding like that, and you will probably also notice exactly that because they oftentimes end up being the most rare items and mounts simply because. It's such a task, like it requires such amount of patience and just banging your head against the wall, which in and of itself is kind of an impressive skill, right? And it's not to sort of undermine uh, very hard fights in video games and such, like that is still impressive, but I am equally so also somewhat impressed with people who can just, oh yeah, I stood here for 10 hours doing the exact same thing again and again and again, and it's like, well, you kind of deserve somewhat of a prize for that. Uh, maybe I, it's, but then it's just so heavily automated. <laughs> it's just like, uh, sorry, no. And as again, like I want, I wish there was just. I think it could still be done, and just put the challenge in there, and with the rare items and challenge degree of luck makes us like that. It's. Uh, like if I look at EVE Online, for example, like you have some rare items in there that are like some of them are really, really useful, but they only drop from 
certain escalations or other things like that, which are really difficult to do. So you need to know what you're doing in order to get them. Then you still need to have the luck. And then in the end, it's like, okay, then it's, those are not really items to show up because in EVE, like everything is purchasable. So you don't really show off with the items. The only thing you show off is your amount of wealth. So it's more about, do I use this item because it's beneficial to me? But it's the difference there is, you know, actually doing something, actually being on point versus spamming one key with a multi-box program. And that's all I'm doing. Also, when you give people specific uh, tasks to grind with as a means of playing the game, <clears throat> you're inherently limiting the way that they can play the game. If you gave somebody, the, for example, let's say currency was what you were dropping or what you were getting from these mobs or something that you could convert to a currency. So then the purpose of killing the mobs is simply to just make money. And so there's so many different ways to make money. So you don't have to just have that player who wants to grind the mobs over and over again. But if you make grinding the mobs the way that you play the game, because that's the main focus of the game, maybe you have to get Haram gear or you have to, whatever you're playing Black Desert Online, you need a certain amount of experience, whatever. You're doing pool by pool. That for me is where it's just like boring as hell. And it's just, it's funny. I, I asked this question because I'm covering Lineage 2 right now. And many of the same criticisms of lineage 2 are criticisms that i heard you know in regards to grinding it's just um lineage 2 was one of those games when it came to the west it was a super grindy game it was a korean grind level game that not really the uh western audience over here was used to and they were caught kind of off guard by it um you know a lot of these outlets were saying like the grind in this game for how much your weapons and armor cost they're like, this is an insane grind. Even getting to level 20 is an insane grind. This, and some even said as far as, this is the grindiest game I've ever played. So I've seen some people refer to Lineage 2 effectively as one of the grindiest games ever in existence. And so it's got this super bad uh, perspective because of that. But it's also, um, it's crazy how much lineage one and then lineage two by a course association have gone on to kind of direct how the market has uh functioned you look at it and you're like so many games including in asia are still very much experience based and that's the biggest way that they affect uh, the gameplay but um I, I don't know it's just um i think there was a time for that style of game and i think it worked for a time but i think it's also 2019 and you know, we can think of um, different ways to design a game, but at the same time, if that's what works in the Korean market, um, then that's what works in the Korean market. So, like, there's no problems there. My problems are when they do these Western adaptations, which are just basically localizations, and try and launch the games here. And it's like, uh, it doesn't really work that way. Not in the West, over there in Europe, and not over here in America, because uh, the markets work differently. But they keep doing that. So I think that's why I'm more critical of the grinding and the grind-based games. Because they keep bringing them over here, and they don't change them, and they're not working, clearly. I mean, if we are talking uh, mostly Asian games, then absolutely I agree. Screw those games. I hate the grind in them. I mean, I dropped Arcade um, on Chain because I just looked at it. It's like I've spent around... 
I think five hours mining um, stone and ore, and it's like, oh, I'm around two thousand to three thousand points up. There's fifty thousand points. Oh, yeah, fifty thousand points in total. I'm I'm just like, nope, nope. That's way too much time. Granted, to some extent, I will um, give that Arc Age is a bit more PvP focused, and I think when it comes to PvP games you see it quite a lot that there's a lot of grind when it comes at least to materials which i think does make a level of sense because they need you out in the world and how do you get people out in the world well you ask them to gather a metric ton of uh, resources but... uh, it's the grind in those games and i think that's also where you just see the cultural differences again which they have spoken of, of course, in length, and the way people play their games. Like, you know, a lot of people here in the Western uh, audience, especially, like, we play from our homes, and we may or may not be in voice comfort people and things like that. Whereas there, of course, you know, there's a lot of playing in those PC banks, so you play together, it's more more social. And, of course, anything you do in a group, that's even if it's grindy, it'd be, it's automatically more fun because you're in a group. Because the social experience elevates the experience of uh, whatever you're doing so but i would still argue if the thing that you were doing was even more interesting then it would become even better on the whole mining thing like again you can say please go out and grab me 2000 stone which is like there are stone notes and each gives you say 10 stones so please go and tap 200 stone notes you could do that it's the way a lot of uh, games have done it or what you could do and it's uh like it's of course early days and but like i like what star citizen does for example with its mining even you got it of course different levels like they go all the way up to it's not available yet to capital ships so you can mine with like a smaller ship but you can also mine by hand and it's like okay you put this laser on a rock you balance the energy level of it because if you don't do it well it will just explode in your face and kill you and if you do it well, you get your resources. It's still a very, very basic system. And I think and I hope that we'll expand on it and add more features to it. But the fact is, it, like, it already adds more than just click on this, get stuff. And by adding those things on it means, OK, I'm focused now on doing this thing, which means if you're in a PvP game and you're focused on I'm mining this thing and say you're alone and maybe I come along and I'd be like, hmm, let me just take aim with my rifle and wait until he's done mining that rock. Cause you know, then I can kill him and take the stuff, which is always a bonus. Your focus, you're like, yeah, and, oh, yeah, you get it, and bang, you're dead because well, you were alone. You you could you could not pay attention to your environment and to the task you were doing. Conclusion is either you take the risk and you go out alone, or you'd be like, you know, this is an MMO. We're going to do this. Let's bring more people. Some can mine and some can run protection details for us. You were initially talking about uh, mining in EVE, right? In EVE is... <laughs> EVE is like... It's a bit of a mix because there's a lot of danger in EVE. Always because EVE will be EVE. But mining in EVE is totally boring because it's part your ship click a roid, push your mining lasers, and wait till your ship is full. That's okay. boring. 
oh, it was just because I, I thought you were talking about EVE, and as far as I know, mining EVE in EVE is like dominantly uh, <laughs> bots that uh, do that. I will freely and openly admit that I have used a mining bot in EVE for a bit. It's also out of my curiosity to bot programs. But yeah, a lot of bot mining happens in EVE. They are getting somewhat hammering on it, but it's like, it's by the nature of game design in EVE, it's very easy to automate. That's of course a different topic, but like um, I mentioned the mining and Star Citizen in this one. Like The key for me there is like, if you make it something that requires you to focus on the task, it just adds to the experience. Know, thinking about it, I actually sort of realized that when we talk about grinding, <laughs> we sort of also have to almost talk about bots because a lot of games who involve a lot of grinding also involve a lot of diff a lot of bots. Oftentimes, like as far as I know, actually, there's quite a deal of uh, grindy uh, MMOs and such that are bot dominated. Almost, I think Runescape was. I don't, I know, I don't know if this has changed, but as far as I know, it was dominated by bots for a period. Lineage two is. Oh, lineage two is as well. Yeah, it's dominated by bots. Yeah. I mean that sort of really also speaks to how boring and poor of a uh, gameplay mechanic it is. Is is if a bot can do it? It's like that really doesn't involve a whole lot of uh, mechanical. Uh, um, Pretty much. Yeah. If you, if as a game designer you notice that people can automate whatever design you put into your game, then clearly you need to make it more complicated. Because it's A, boring, and B, it can be automated, which is a really bad thing in an MMO. Yeah, I think that also somewhat speaks to difficulty. Um... Oh, actually, even if it's quite difficult, unless it's very um, um, heavily uh, mechanical-dominated uh, gameplay, it's kind of hard, because if you have something like WoW or Rift or basically any tap-target MMO, as long as it's just health bar versus health bar, I think a bot can do it. Just automate its rotation, essentially. Which does pose somewhat of a problem. How the heck you actually get around that? Um... It's getting around automation is literally by making gameplay mechanics that require a human level of, you know, hand-eye coordination and things like that. So, of course, in the end, like if you want to, you can always create a advanced enough bot that can do whatever, like. We're at a day and age where home computers have ample of computing power if you wanted to, to pretty much automate anything. Like, you can do a lot of things. Okay, you, your home computer is not at the level yet that you can go ahead and have it beat uh, StarCraft to uh, pro players. But, you know, give it a couple of years. It's, like, it, it's always going to be a fight. But then there are two levels of fight. The one is level like, is it bottable? Like, can I automate this game mechanic? That's one level of the fight. Like, can I stop that making it happening? The other level of the fight is, can I make it interesting enough that people don't want to automate it? 
Because if people don't want to automate it because it's fun to do, you know, that already helps you eliminate a lot of the automation issues when people are like, yeah, I could bot, but hey, this is fun to do. Why am I going to be botting this? And on the note of uh, in chat, general uh, vicinity mentioned like CCP said 16%. I wager it's a lot more because I doubt that they have a good eye on all of the bots because if they did, then they would have done something about it by now. Yeah, I think that um, not having enough consequence for when you die as well is a big part of botting because... Um, you know, people bought it in full loot games. Like, don't get, don't get me wrong. They they bought it and they AFK grinded and things like that. But then there was also players like me who went around and looked for people who were hiding and doing AFK macros. <laughs> so that that's the thing is, is like with full loot, you still have a way to be able to go catch these guys who are doing this shit and then steal all their shit. And then you get that, like, you get a lot of stuff too because they'd have like a lot of materials in order to grind and they'd need different regents or whatever else they'd arrows right so you could just like jack these guys but in a lot of games worst thing you can do is just report <laughs> you can just report the guy sitting there afk grinding or whatever else and yet that doesn't really do anything because he probably already put you know all of his money in all of that that grind money out on the market and then you can't really change the fact that they change the way the market works because so many people are grinding things that lowers the cost of certain items and that makes grinding a big part of the game, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, it, to a degree, that's the case, but it also depends on your game, which is why Eve has such a big problem with it. Cause okay. I have as a player, I can say like, Oh, I'm going to have 10 bots running and either I'm online or somebody else's line and people know who the bots are and they're like, the bots will just report it and get attacked and then like, oh, this bot is under attack. Let me uh, call in the standing fleet, drop it right on top of whatever is attacking it and kill it. It's like the people are actively and aggressively protecting their bots. And even if uh, and some other ways that people are botting, for example, with the ratting, it's like, yeah, you can kill them and they'll be like, oh, I lost a, I don't know, 150 mil isk ship. The thing probably made that money in an hour anyway. So there's the risk is pretty much nil. Yeah, but that's because Eve has very obvious problems in that you can't actually take somebody's money. Like if you could actually take somebody's money, I think it would like drastically change the way that that functions. Mm, not really. That would just transfer it away. But how are you going to transfer it away if, if somebody hits the biggest giant corporation's bank? It doesn't matter what they do. They can't stop people from stealing their money. Uh, I'm not so sure. I think that's a problem with setting as well. Of course, you're in a science fiction setting, so like you don't really have physical currency like at all in that setting. So the only thing you would have physically are items. Currency is all digital. Sound like you had something, Limpas? Well, I was just um, in regards to uh, it's like being capable of stealing their money. I mean, 
they could always steal it back, <laughs> which for a giant corporation, I think is going to be a bit easier than from you stealing from the giant corporation. The thing about giant corporations, though, is that, and this was proven in Darkfall, is as soon as one corporation got, you know, in that game, they're just guilds, but as soon as one guild or alliance got so big, it's in everybody's benefit to steal from them. So then it just becomes everybody is against you. It's not just you versus one other alliance or you versus a bunch of different guilds. It's people look at you like you're the big ass juicy snake now. So now everybody wants a piece of you. They want to steal your shit, but that doesn't really happen in even the same way. Territory control is a lot more important. And so numbers ultimately, just like in Albion, are still king. So it's just like if you have a big enough corp that just has enough size, it, I think it doesn't really matter what that little guild does to you because like you said, the, the corp is going to have way more resources to do far more. But if it's built on a game where you're not safe and just sitting in your you know imaginary money you know safe that can never be altered or affected in any way shape or form i think that that's just not very realistic because the money has to be a part of the actual world in my opinion because if the money is a part of the actual world then it actually has to circulate through the world through the npc economy through the player economy and then that way whenever one faction becomes so powerful the incentive to go against them is just simple it's money <laughs> you want you want money <laughs> But what happens if you get two or three equally furry lost factions that just be like, you know what? We are better off if we work together. And they are just at a power level that even if everybody else be like, let's go and hit one of them, they would just be like, are you sure about that? Because that's, that's the risk. That's the problem that you really see in EVE right now is... is people just form alliances and be like it's more profitable not to attack each other but that's because of a fault of the game is my whole point because of how the game is built like what i'm saying it doesn't matter if you change uh uh aspects of eve now it's not going to work in the same way the game was never built with that in mind and i think that that was the flaw was essentially like they didn't plan to deal with uh ultimate power becoming ultimate power because if you ask me, for example, how would I deal with the situation you uh, you brought up, it would never happen, first off, because I am also playing my game. I'm also conscious of my game. And so I could see if one faction was becoming way too powerful and I'd have ways to control that through the use of, you know, using my assets in the game. Developers act like they have like no control over shit. And I think it's just because they don't want to get their hands dirty. But like in that case... Sorry, dude, plague happened. Your alliance is hit with a giant-ass plague because there's way too fucking many of you living in the same exact place, which is pretty normal anyway, right? Like, it's pretty normal to get a bunch of sickness because of something like that. So it's like, I feel like you have to be proactive in dealing with shit like that, but also, if it's built into the very nature of the game, people aren't going to let you get to that super mega conglomerate level. They're going to be stealing from you on the way up. So I'm not going to say that a guild or a... An alliance wouldn't be able to do it because they were able to do it in Darkfall, even with you know full loot and asset destruction and being able to get inside somebody's bank and steal their shit. But uh, people also brought down the biggest alliance ever in that game by doing exactly what I was talking about, which is just robbing them, <laughs> just stealing all their money as much as possible. And uh, eventually they got their safe. And uh, once they got their safe, you're talking. I mean, in that in that game's world, I don't know what the equivalent would be in Eve, but it'd be billions and billions and and billions of isk right like they just they got the mother load. Brilliant. 
<laughs> trillions, sorry. I guess billions aren't very much anymore. No. Bill, 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 billions are for the common folk. Millions are for the poor folk. But yeah, it's it's an issue in game design and there are probably ways around it. I did want to mention here in chat is like, what if having bots just is just acknowledging that it's necessary for a giant living MMO worlds and should it be a burden on the players? I think what they forget is that the people that are capable of running the bots will just gather an enormous advantage over those who can't. And this is not just coming down to like you as a player and skill level and things like that, but it comes down like most bots are paid programs, for example, so you need to pay for them in order to use them, but you also need hardware to run those bots. So at that point, you're like giving a really big edge to whomever has more real money as well. So it becomes a almost indirect way of pay to win. And it also comes down to the fact that if you say like, I need that, you designed your game world incorrectly because you should design your world that it doesn't need that. Like it's never going to be like real life, like where you deal things like there's always going to be limitations. So you're going to be like, okay, in real life to build a house, I probably need a whole lot more wood than my character can put in a backpack. But that's the difference between a game and real life. Yeah, because you don't want it to actually be like, oh, the realism, and I don't at least. That's just not, that's not fun to me. That's not what MMOs are really about. It's more nope. about building this world that you feel like you're a part of and that you feel like you can affect change. And uh, to, to go on to what I was just saying in chat, Pin Zero said, um, make in-game events that fuck with the superpowers, and it makes things interesting for everyone. I think developers are so afraid to do things like that, for, at least from what I've seen personally, is because they're afraid of angering their audience. But I think that you kind of have to have that expectation going in. Asheron's call did, and they, I mean, I don't think anybody ever really complained when they did their big-ass changes because they just saw it as, like, this is just how the game is. Like, whenever a town was wiped out because of a, a certain, you know, plot uh, update, people weren't like, oh, my God, this isn't fair. It's my favorite town. Maybe someone was saying that, but it wasn't, like, from the perspective of, I hate this, take this out of the game. They're like, no, this is awesome. Like, some event happened and it changed the world. Like, people thought that that was really cool in that game. And I think um, th this kind of goes along with that. It's like, if you were to ask me, how do you deal with some big super conglomerate company? It's like, well, I would never let them get that big. And so, oh, isn't that kind of unfair because you're like tampering with the the game? Well, first off, I'm the developer, which means that I've designed the world to work in a certain way, which also means that if the world works in a certain way, it doesn't fucking matter what someone else does. At the end of the day, the world isn't fair. It's fair within its own context, but it's not fair to you as a player, right? Because it has its own uh, purpose, if you will, right? The, oh, yes. the the big dragon that flies around and just killed you and ate you for dinner doesn't care about you, right? Because maybe it, it, it's going somewhere else for the fucking winter or some shit. I don't know. But the point being is it's just like a simple example of like when you drown in the water and you lose all your gear there, that sucks. That's, you know, that's not a fun thing. But at the same time, how many people in real life have fucking drowned as well? It's just, it's it's like you have to find a way to make it real in, in a sense, but like Card said, not go full out like realism and and lose the whole game aspect. But I think you can still make that about <clears throat> being a game and it's still fun. Like you can add that thread of like, you can't just fucking dive into the water, 
grab like 17 billion clams and make all this money. You, you, you actually need to like go in with some kind of equipment. You need to like have a plan here. You know, like there's consequence. These, this world has rules just like our fucking world does. I think, hey, I, hey, I was first. I no, it is on my Discord. <laughs> it's, I have three X's by now. You, you put bomb after I put my third. But go ahead. Uh, I think the only issue is that it's gamers we're talking about, and it almost doesn't matter what you do to try and poke them down, um, or whatever mechanic you throw in, they're going to find some kind of way to either exploit the new mechanic, or just some kind of workaround to it. But I do agree that, yeah, absolutely, as a developer, I think you are in your full rights to try and throw in new elements to try and get things back on track um to what your uh idea of what the game is or what the game should be and if that means making some players angry eh, i mean it's for the better in the end and they'll probably realize that after their sort of initial whining they'll they'll come around most likely i mean it's to me like in the end it comes down to if you have a game world it's going to be always imperfect because you created it and just like the real world it's will have many exploits because we make the rules and we're never perfect with the rules but the nice thing is with a game world like you know as nerd mentioned in the chat as well it's like you can have your dungeon master you can have your overlord of this world and if you make a game and you put that out there right from the start that this is going to be part of this world then you know if, if you're gonna join in there as a gamer then you're gonna be upset that something happens because the you know dm decided it had to meet it needed to happen it's like yeah you you choose for this like you would that it could happen it's part of this world and it's the only way that you can really maintain a balance at all times if you see people things go out of hand because you know you have the tools like Okay, send out a plague, or as I often say in Eve Online, it's like we got all these powerful NPC factions, and they are going uh, all over, and they've been fairly much underused. It'd be like, you know, if I just say, like, hey, I control Eve, you, Sanchez, attack, uh, test, uh, you, Blood Raiders, um, go attack, uh, whatever, the Horde or something, like a pandemic Horde or something like that. Like you send them all over there, it's like, oh, I'll just let's see what happens. Like, oh, shit's going down. Yeah, that's good. So, yeah, I think it's if you put it out there, you make it clear from the beginning, then it's probably the best way to control a full uh, open world like that. Because whatever rules you make, whatever mechanics you put in it, people will always find a way to run them. Uh, somebody said, uh, I think having a small group of people keeping the world going in their own vision of the world. <laughs> Illuminati, basically. I mean, because at the end of the day, like the developers have to say, like, this is our game. So this is our vision, which means that if you guys are, are interested in this vision, if you think this is fun, if you're interested in trying it out, then, hey, come along for the ride. But if not, then 
just realize like this is also our vision so we're trying to create the game in this vein so it's like it's not made to be for everybody it's made for the people who will specifically want that kind of experience and i think of it as like um if you look at uh role play and D D, right dungeons and dragons everyone knows that there's a dungeon master who role of uh, you know the party they come up with threats they come up with the plot they come up with kind of just about everything about what the other players are doing basically he, the only thing he doesn't come up with is their characters though most of the time he helps them come up with them and so on a small scale how difficulty is always balanced is that the dm himself can say or herself can say well in this context and this fight was a little bit too easy. This group's pretty good. So I'm going to make the next encounter a little bit more challenging. And so the next encounter is like, oh, man, this is super challenging, which changes the experience, right? Or maybe you have, like, something that, like, caught you off guard, and it's because the DM, you know, had a had a plot twist or something like that, or a rare item or a certain kind of quest that they invented on the fly, right? It doesn't really work in the context of an MMO because, obviously, uh, DMs don't, or GMs even don't have that same level of control where they can just dynamically create a quest or dynamically create an event or or command the AI to do something or have the AI running on certain schedules where it kind of does that on its own already. And so I think if you build a world where it's kind of already functioning like a world, even when you're not playing it yourself, like the NPCs kind of have their own tasks, but also give players the ability to command the the troops, the the different NPCs, and then also let them know. Um, you know what they should be doing or whatever else i think that that's a way that you can go about solving that i think uh in regards to um sort of uh development control i think to some extent it can also be somewhat necessary because players players have a tendency or gamers have a tendency to really just cannibalize themselves until until death i i think even in the smallest things like shooters even if it's just six on six it doesn't matter that you're pushed way back to the uh, furthest point on the map or anything like that and it's like you're ahead by 50 you're never going to balance that out and you're never going to get the other side a chance even though you're basically ruining the game for both sides i think in an mmo that's particularly bad because i mean you can basically ruin the game for quite a long time and that's that sort of works against what an MMO should, to some extent at least, be. It's like, yeah, sure, you can lose once in a while, but if you lose a hundred times in a row, and against this just massive faction of players, it's like, yeah, I'm gonna quit that game, and I think most people would. So, yeah, giving a de or having developers. Um, have some amount of influence on how the game sort of flows i think is not out of uh out of reason to sort of suggests yeah i think the and the key there also is like to not over rely on these um dm powers so to speak than in your mmo world ideally what you want to do is use them and in small ways and clever tricks we actually steer the player factions to solve the problem that you see evolving uh, themselves 
So if you feel like hmm, this one player faction is getting fairly powerful, how can I make it so that these other two, you know, each individually smaller factions may find it interesting to team up to take on this larger faction? Like, are there, can I give this larger faction maybe some special item that may just be like, yeah, we need to go for that? Or maybe I can give uh, these smaller factions some, uh, you know, maybe they get lucky and get some special gear or something like that. Like, try to, if at all possible, make your direct inputs as small as they can be, because that way it will feel the most player driven. So the only time you really, really bring out a big hammer, so to speak, is when you, nobody just doesn't want, like if everybody decides like, yeah, we're going to be best friends amongst the three biggest factions. And at that point, you're like, like you tried a few things, nobody wants to fight. Yeah, at that point you can bring out a big hammer. But ideally, if you can get them to fight amongst each other and whack themselves down a few sizes so that smaller factions can perhaps move in and even take over, that's going to be a much better result. And that's going to be the most difficult act of balancing uh, when you're doing this. And yes, a sandbox uh, MMOs would enjoy involved GMs because, quite frankly, if you give players a sandbox, they will ruin it. Yeah, basically, they'll they'll find out the limits of the system <clears throat> and then how to exploit it. And so, like, in the same way that a player might do that in a single campaign, the DM can show up next time and he already has a solution. And in an MMO context, very oftentimes, some, some issues don't even go addressed. Uh, so it's like the issue exists for such a long time that it creates such a big problem in the game that by the time they do change it, it's kind of already too late. And I think that that's why there's a difference between doing big kind of planned content updates where you kind of have like maybe some big thing happen in the world. That's like one thing. The GMs aren't there to do that every single day. They're they're there to do more like um, smaller, more specific kind of thing, right? Where it's like this certain area. How is this area doing? How is this area doing? And like paying attention to how players are reacting in certain zones maybe even creating some more content themselves dynamically if they choose to or being a part of it themselves but it's it's less of like oh some big change is happening like all the time all the time all the time it's more like just little things the the window dressing you know like the helping with the immersion and then whenever it comes to the big things they're also going to be helping of course maybe they can take control of certain npcs maybe they can uh be part of the narrative team or like whenever a certain faction goes to war with another faction, it's like they're actually playing as those faction leaders and things like that. There's there's so many ideas that go with it. Um, I'll go ahead and let Limpos uh, respond one more time since he had to run to the restroom real quick. So what do you got, Limpos? Now I almost can't remember. I think I was going to say something about... Um, oh yeah, now I remember. Um, that you could mm, possibly, maybe supposedly um implement uh, automatic systems even though i uh, even though those automatic systems could only be activated once it would actually be kind of interesting to see that if a faction becomes too big or they get too much area or whatever too many resources whatever it is like they simply becomes too too powerful that there is an automatic system set in place without players knowing it <laughs> 
which does hammer them down just automatically. I would like to see that just because it would be quite funny to watch instead of it like being the developer sort of choosing to do it, but sort of as a safeguard, just as an initial um, sort of warning to people. It's like, this is what happens. But you, as I said, it's like you, you can only really do that once because if it's automatically happening, people know exactly when they need to stop. And, and you end up in that situation where they, they, they've pushed the, they, they will push to that limit and probably still end up being quite powerful. But it would be interesting to see. It would be. And it would, it's also you have to be willing to let it go to go to the ultimate um the ultimate, uh, I guess, just solution. Like, so, like, the ultimate um, conclusion is a better way to put it. So, say, for example, if within the world the NPCs are strong enough to, say, for example, attack another faction and then kill them and even kill the players there, then they have to also be willing or, sorry, be able to be defeated and maybe destroyed. And so, like, it's one of those kind of um, double-edged swords where it's kind of like, you want that danger in your game, but if that danger is in the game, that also means that there has to be that reward in the game as well. And so to me, that makes the game more exciting when you think about it from that perspective. I can see how some people could see it as being too hardcore, being, you know, whatever else. But ultimately, if you don't want consequence in your world, I would say, uh, at least in the context of the game that I want to create, go find another world. <laughs> because not even the real world doesn't have consequence. So every world give or take has some sort of consequence unless it's just some fantasy world and when i say fantasy world i don't mean an actual fantasy world with dragons i mean a fantasy world like it doesn't actually exist so high fantasy or i think i think even within a lot of those worlds they still have rule sets they still have things that you have to adhere i think it's more a gamer kind of thing to not really want the consequences because you say well it's a game so like i don't want the consequences and it's like but what if the consequences are part of the game yeah i understand all right well i'd like to thank both card and limpos for stopping by today and talking about grinding we also talked about bots a little bit i mean i agree with limpos when you talk about grinding it's hard not to talk about automating because uh they kind of go hand in hand together and then we also ended up talking about, uh, well, I should say, in the end, we talked about running GMs and DMs and how they could I influence the game and also fix some of these issues that we were kind of outlining earlier of uh, maybe either monotony or monopoly uh, in the case of EVE Online Corporation. So anyway, um, I'd like to thank Card and Limpos again for stopping by today. Uh, and I appreciate you guys for joining me on another episode of the Six Picks of Thunder podcast and another week of uh, topical discussion. As always, we're here to carry the show. <laughs> Bye. See you later, Card. See you, Randall. All right. And yes, also remember people to sign up. You too can join in on the discussion. All right. So it's the end of the podcast. So I'll do another like maybe eight minutes or so maybe 10 minutes or so of just answering random questions so if you guys have any questions you'd like to ask me about whatever uh go ahead and at me right now hey uh, evil eyes good to see you man thanks for the 500 bit cheer yeah thanks for the 500 bit cheer
Uh, who else? Pull up my uh, Streamlabs so I can see who else. Because I'm not the best at keeping up with this stuff, so I kind of have to have another monitor open so I can always kind of track what's going on. Okay, let's events. Okay, before that, he just uh, cheered a bit. <laughs> Thank you. Burrito Bandits uh, resubscribed on Prime for five months. Keep up the great work, Dad, he said. Thank you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that was a good one, by the way. And Pujit um, cheered 500 bits. Just said cheer 500. Thank you for that 500-bit uh, donation, Pujit. And, um, yeah, that's it for the day so far. Cool. Did you see the list of games coming first to Stadia? I did not. <laughs> Can you link that for me? Um, Adric Lives asked, uh, have you looked into Saga of Leucemia? Every time you talk about roleplay events, GMs, and the MMOs, Having a planned end, I wonder if you've looked into it at all. So I think I looked into it before, but I don't really remember what I saw. So I think the last time I looked into it, it looked pretty early in its development. So I wasn't quite sure uh, how far they were, I guess, because the old me would have been super interested to dive immediately into any idea that was interesting to me. But like the newer me, the one that's trying to also make a living out of this, I try and focus primarily on the MMOs that I think are actually first off going to launch <laughs> and are going to accomplish what they're trying to set out to accomplish. So, Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. It certainly looks a lot more advanced than what I saw previously. So, I mean, I'm seeing some progress here. That's good. Let me show you guys what I'm looking at right now. This was from like a year ago. I mean, it already looks better than a couple MMOs that are uh, in the current rounds at the moment. Let me see if I can click on their uh, channel if they'll show me uh, some more recent footage. Seven months ago was the most recent video update but i mean i'm seeing some progress here sure can you talk about this secret manifesto i watched your last stream what kind of game are you looking at making I have experience in sound design and game music composition so um i can talk about that yes and i am always willing to talk about that because it's very interesting to me and also this project in particular is going to be it's going to be a collaborative community effort because we're trying to make a. Um... All right, so I'll start from the beginning. <clears throat> At this point, it's still early in the design phase, but the one thing that's for sure is it's going to be an MMO uh, eventually, at some point in the future, if it could find some success, right, as being a world first. So I thought initially, maybe just making it single player. <clears throat> but I've also flirted with the idea of having it as a co-op game. That way you could focus on building that group experience from the ground up. And then whenever you go massive, 
um, it's not nearly as much of a shock, right? And you don't have to focus on group content after the fact, which I find to be problematic. So I'm thinking it's like a cooperative RPG of sorts is uh, the simplest way to put it. Um, also, the only other thing I can say about it is fantasy noir, um, essentially, in terms of like uh, where to start design-wise. Uh, things that are going to be common that you hear me talk about a lot, I think, in the context of that game is going to be um, choice, consequence, risk versus reward, um, the ability to impact the world, right, and the world impact you. Um, I think I have a bunch of other ideas, but it's just like, I have so m many ideas, I don't like to just kind of go down the litany of all of them, because uh, I, we're trying to we're trying to organize it in a way where it's not just going to be this MMO or cooperative RPG, I should say, first, that's focused on doing everything. That's just not realistic. Like, you're making an indie project when you're working in indie game development. In my opinion, the most important thing is having very clear goals and knowing what you're trying to accomplish. And trying to start off by making a massive multiplayer online game is just not very realistic to me, especially if you don't have the resources. Because think about it, when people say four to five years of development, they're talking about four to five years of development with like millions of dollars. <laughs> they're not talking about four to five years of development with like thousands of dollars. And so making an MMO from scratch is just not very realistic. And so I want to make an RPG first. But the idea that I had is that I want the RPG, just like other RPGs that are currently out there already, in some way, shape, or form, have aspects of this where they can kind of, the world functions on its own. I think of kind of like Dungeon Keeper in a way, Stardew Valley in some ways, Terraria. Like some of these have NPCs and they have tasks, goals. X3 Turin uh, Conflict is another example where you can have a programmable AI and kind of Mountain Blade, another great example. These are like big inspirations for me. So it's like trying to find a way to combine those sorts of ideas of a, of a world and how a world functions and how the NPCs function on their own into a game where um, you yourself feel like you can choose to play it how you want to play it. And what I mean by that is that combat isn't just the only way to play the game. I'm trying to find a way to create gameplay experiences that I think are fun to all kinds of uh, play styles. So like, you know, for me, I think uh, roguelites are usually kind of good at that in the sense that it's more so about what you end up wanting to play, whereas what you're actually doing, because most of the time what you're doing is procedurally generated, which just kind of means it's just kind of repeated over and over again, right? Like, it's just like a different version of the same thing this time. Um, but people don't really play it because it's a different thing, right? They play roguelites um, because of the gameplay loop is also fun. So it's like, it's it, it's learning from a lot of these other different indie games that do things really well, um, like Deep Rock Galactic, like I mentioned Stardew, Terraria, Starbound. Um, I even looked up one pretty recently that I found pretty interesting. Uh, let me see if I can find it. But it's a uh, it's an indie game, and I haven't seen it before. Where is this thing? Uh, Magica is another good example. 
Magicka is probably the best one-to-one -one example of what I think that I'm trying to create. And I'm not saying look at Magicka and think, oh, this is the game. Look at Magicka and think it's got four players, you play cooperatively, it has online co-op, and you play and progress the game together. That aspect is going to be similar. But in terms of like how it actually plays out, um, it'll look similar from a design perspective. It'll be top-down, 2D, 3D type of style. Those are things that are pretty much decided at this point. But anything past that, I mean, I have no fucking idea. So I'm, I'm really like, I have so many ideas, but I'm just starting from the beginning and just thinking like, what what is something on the market that exists right now that's kind of like accomplishing what I'm trying to accomplish? Or what... So what's a game that does things that I like a lot and I'm trying to learn from, right? And the idea that I have is that there's a lot of really great indie games out there that have very good systems or features um, that are system-based. When I mean system-based, I mean like it's not just content. The system itself is the content. Like Stardew Valley, um, farming in itself is the content. Deep Rock Galactic, going after the uh, mining is the content, right? Is combining these auxiliary systems all together and into a really, you know, conducive world experience of an RPG, right? That's kind of how I see it is like combining enough systems together to where you can create a conducive RPG experience. I found this game recently and um, I don't really know much about it. And, but it's it's a, a good example of me or to me sorry of what you're you're capable of doing with not the most resources but maybe kind of like a clear idea of what you're trying to accomplish it's basically just kind of like an open world multiplayer kind of story rpg kind of experience where yeah like it it shows it pretty briefly you gather resources you create items you go around you mine things right like it's got this whole kind of thing. This is like, in a nutshell, if I were to say like the like the alpha version of the game would be something similar to this, the sense of like how you're prog how you're progressing throughout the world and kind of the different activities or systems as I mentioned to do throughout the world that would grant you content. But then how the game would actually change is of course the story, there being other players, and the the world itself would be unique. I mean, obviously this world is. There's not a whole lot of lore or world there, right? It's just more so brass acts. It's got like the core systems, but that's kind of why I was showing it off is for me, it's very like simple, but uh, accomplishes what they were set out to accomplish. Or setting out to accomplish, I should say. So, so something like Warframe and design, like missions or dungeons. You know, I only talk candid with you guys because I love you guys. But um, normally, I wouldn't talk about this kind of stuff. It's it's not going to feel like a lobby game. It's going to feel cl a lot closer to a world. So, like, what I mean by that is that think of like Mountain Blade, smaller scale, with two D, three D style graphics uh, and gameplay. And then also think um, more influence over how the world uh, plays out in the story. And then also think of um, traveling throughout the game is not done automatically. 
you have to actually travel, and traveling throughout the game is dangerous. And so I, I think of it as kind of like... I think Garthener brought up a really good example to me. He showed me a game called Majesty, and Majesty is this almost like a virtual world simulator RTS type game. And I'm trying to combine aspects from simulator genres, because I love simulators personally, and, and combine them with an RPG experience. And I think that uh, it's been done a couple of times to great, massive success. But I think that um, you can go a step further, right? And I think that you could do it, you could do it in a way where um, it functions a lot more like a, uh, a fantasy world, right? Um, and I think, um, I think the approach that at least we're trying to accomplish, you know, being so early on is just coming up with the base idea for what we're trying to create and then just slowly building it up from that point until we have a working demo. Once we have a working demo, that's when we'll be comfortable actually showing people what we're working on and maybe actually start to have the, t the conversation about if we're going to get it crowdfunded and all of that other stuff. But that's why everything before then is, for me, volunteer work. It's not about putting money in. It's just about putting time and passion in, basically, up until we can find a way, essentially, um, to start to monetize or feel comfortable that it's ready for such a thing, right? Or to raise funds for, right? Because it, it means a lot to me. Like, I'm willing to sit on a passion project and take my time just because I'm not doing it for money. Right? Like, I'm not, I'm not making a video game for money. Um, I'm making it because I really want to make one. If it ends up making me money, That'd be awesome but i'm making a good game because i want to see if i can make a good game really like at the simplest um reason that's the reason and i look at these other indie games and i'm like hmm they've done a lot with what they have despite not having a lot you see what i'm saying like when i look at outlet for example and and even you know i've brought up some of those other indie game uh names as well I see what they're capable, what they've been capable of doing so far with like their little bit of resources. Like, of course, everybody knows at this point the story of Stardew Valley and how it was like one developer for like five years. Like, um, not making a game anymore just because of money just isn't a good enough excuse. People are still making games and they're making them off of passion. That's why I think like the indie market in the RPG space is booming. MMORPG space it's not really seen in the same positive light, wouldn't you agree? And I think that's because going straight for an online MMORPG uh, and crowdfunding it is just, it's a lot to ask first off, especially a lot to ask when you don't have a world already. And that's kind of how I see it is like, I want to create an RPG that has a world. So if I wanted to make it an MMORPG at some point, just like Stardew made their game multiplayer, even though it wasn't originally multiplayer, I'd be able to do that. You see what I'm saying? Like, I wouldn't have to want to go like, all right, so I just want to make an MMO and I'll just make that from scratch with a new world, a new ever. It's like, no, like you could make an indie RPG experience that accomplishes maybe some of the things you're trying to accomplish at a later point and use that as like a testing ground almost. And I feel like um, you're, see you're going to start to see a lot uh, more things like that done instead of people just skipping directly for MMO, they're going to start to think, hmm, maybe I can start smaller scale because, you know, maybe I don't have to start as a multiplayer game, right?
Minecraft story mode. I keep forgetting the game was made. It's a shame Telltale Games never innovated their gameplay after Walking Dead. They were probably scared to try and innovate too much. Didn't they with one game that got a lot of bad feedback? Yeah, and that's the thing is, is like when I when I've described what I've described so far, which is just even just the beginning, it's it's describing it based off of what I've seen other games already do. So it's like it's from the perspective of like this is stuff that's already possible. We're just gonna kind of clean it up in a couple of aspects. That's that's kind of how I personally approach like development or design. It's like I don't have to be innovative if I can take a previously good idea and just make it a little bit better. Right? Like I don't I don't need to focus so hard on being so one of a kind if you can just take a working model and maybe fix some of its problems, you know? It's kind of like I think although innovation is awesome, going straight towards innovation from the very beginning without like the basis of a world or the basis of something to start off of it's just not really like conducive to actually getting anything accomplished like one thing i very much dislike about crowdfunding is whenever somebody shows off crowdfunded projects like in the mmo context it's always like you're showing me a world that even on the basis of itself doesn't even function and that to me is just like such a hard sell Whereas imagine if somebody who was crowdfunding uh, something, crowdfunding an MMO, showed you just the world itself and it was just functioning with the NPCs and kind of functioning just like a world, almost like a simulation, and you could just like watch it happen. Like, wouldn't that make you get, think like, holy shit, I want to play this game. Like, that's crazy. They already have like the basis of their world kind of figured out. Maybe the graphics aren't there yet. Maybe the world isn't there yet 100%. Maybe like the gameplay isn't there. Maybe there's certain other aspects they're still working on content, that sort of thing. But if they had a world that was already functioning in a simulating kind of faction, like that would, to me, that would be an insane like hype trailer. You know, like if a crowdfunded MMO launched like that, showing you that their world could actually function like a simulation. I mean, my eyes would just be like, that's insane to me. Too many projects at once very likely restricted what they wanted to do with their games. Are you guys talking about Outer Worlds? I think Telltale's main issue was that they kind of stretched themselves too thin. Yeah, they, they, they kept doing project after project. They weren't taking time off. And so they essentially weren't able to upgrade their tech. Because if you're just making new games off of your technology, it's not very likely you're also going to be able to like constantly keep iterating your engine at the same exact time. Unless you're like Epic Games, where you've just got a massive... Unless you're like Unity, where you're specifically designed to develop an engine. Can we expect more non-MMO games on the Death of a Game? I like the Resident Evil one. Yeah, of course. Like, I've said it before. Um, there's only two genres, like, specifically I feel kind of comfortable uh, making Death of a Game videos on. And that's primarily... Um, it's going to be multiplayer shooters... And of course, massive multiplayer online games. Those are the two that I feel the most confident on. I will say that one of the, sorry, one of the death of the games I'm doing by the end of the year is definitely going to be one that I'm not nearly as educated in. And so I've been having to do a lot of learning for it. But it's a style of game that I think once I learn how it kind of functions, I'll be better suited to handle such uh, games in the future. I'm not going to spoil what it is, but... You guys know I'm already working on the Lineage 2 video, so you know that that's the next step game, but I'm talking about one that's coming after that.
Yeah, so actually we didn't even get to the Lost Ark EU discussion. I didn't even get to mention to people that you can actually go play the game right now in EU um, if you go through the uh, little guide that Lazy Peon did on his YouTube channel. You can figure out how to play Lost Ark right now uh, in, with an English translation. <laughs> the death of Guitar Hero. I mean, that's actually a pretty good video to do, and it, I do like I do like Guitar Hero and Rock Band actually. Um, but yeah, maybe maybe next year. Are you going to hit sixty before Phase Two? Oh, absolutely. I think they said fourteenth for Phase Two, which means I've just got two more days, and I'm at fifty-eight. In like three quarters so i'm 0.25 right now from 59 and once i grab that then i'm just gonna fucking grind out that last level and then i'll finally be done with the grind there man that one's been not gonna lie it's been it's been catching up to me just being on my pc grinding it up but i can't wait till i can actually start to do some group content again because I can do dungeons every now and then with uh, some of the guys from the guild, but it's like, I know they don't want to do the same fucking dungeon all the time, and I have to, because I'm trying to level. <laughs> yeah, I need, to, I need to be grinding. What's up, uh, Slack? I've been trying to put in that work the past week, because I, I, didn't, want, I didn't want it to, uh, to drop, phase two to drop, and then me not be max level. I, I just thought that that was just going to be, like, not very fun. Because then I'm going to want to be PvPing the whole time. And then, like, I'm not going to level, you know, because you don't level off of PvPing. So it's, like, that's why it's, like, so important for me to hit, like, 60 before the phase uh, 2. Because I don't want to level anymore, man. I just want to kill. <laughs> Have you been following Crowfall at all? What's your thoughts? Um... I think it's been improving steadily. I'm still not sold on the combat animation stuff yet. I'll say that the UI has come a long way. Um, basically, where I'm at with Crowfall is I'm kind of at like when they're ready to showcase the game, that's when I want to come check it out. Like when they're like, hey guys, come check out this version of the game. This is Crowfall. That's when I want to go check out Crowfall. Because until then, I just feel like a lot of my criticism is just kind of pointless because, you know, people fairly will say, like, well, they're still working on these things. And I'm like, that's fair, but it's just not really where I would want it to be or what it's trying to accomplish yet. Um, that being said, I think Crowfall is awesome just because it's that interesting mix of being like a hardcore PvP game, but also being almost like a lobby game, almost like a dedicated server kind of game. And I think that that kind of style of game is attractive to some, especially, obviously, but more so could work in the context of an MMO. And so I think that's interesting. I also personally like it myself because if I actually enjoyed playing Crowfall, it'd be awesome every now and then to get down a couple of campaigns, you know, like maybe periodically join in a couple of month-long campaigns. That'd be pretty cool that you could kind of start and stop like that and not really have to worry about like, oh, I'm four months away launch was four months ago and now i'm in a sandbox game there's no chance i'm ever going to catch up so i like crowfall for reasons like that but it's just not really where i want it to be yet 
I canceled my WoW sub, so I'll try phase two until the end of November, then I'm walking into the sunset. World PvP in the honor system. Yeah, in a nutshell. That's what it is. Um, but yeah, if you guys ever have any cool looking games, any cool indie RPGs, any cool indie games, period, that have cool systems or cool features or whatever, anything that has the cool adjective in it, you guys can always message me uh, stuff like that because I look at a lot of stuff. I've gotten a lot of really cool uh, video games shown to me. Um, for example, this last thing I'll show you guys. So um, I found this game, Mages of Mistralia, and uh, it's actually, I would say, the closest style to the game that I'm trying to uh, develop that I could possibly describe. Like just from like how the gameplay functions, how movement functions, how the game looks, and how um, you have to aim projectiles and work on your spells and I mean, I would probably say this game, Mages of Mistralia, would be the closest that I've seen personally so far on the market for what I would try and accomplish. Um, there's two criticisms of this game. One is that the game is too short for $20. The other criticism is that the game is too easy. Um, those are two criticisms that my game would definitely not uh, suffer from, I should say. <laughs> I would not have a problem of having a game that's too easy. I certainly won't have a problem with a game being too short. Are you going to be looking at what the X original Anet devs are going to be doing? Yeah, anything that's MMO related and that's a virtual world related or just it's interested or it's interesting to any of my interests, I'm going to try and cover as much as possible. Like obviously I don't just cover everything that I'm interested in, but in terms of like MMO stuff, I'm trying to be as interested in everything new as much as possible because I feel like it's um it's it's just my job at this point, you know? It's like my job to be informed on what's going on in the world of uh MMOs. I know I know I don't I know I don't always cover like the more um the older school ones sometimes or maybe even like Lord of the Rings online just released an expansion. Uh, another expansion and i don't cover that but i think that's just because for me that's just not personally what i'm interested in um when games are still coming out with new content it's exciting to me that they're still in existence but when that new content doesn't in any way shape or form innovate or push that game forward or or put that game in the limelight it's just kind of like it's not something i can focus on covering if that makes sense because it's like i can't make money off of covering something that barely anybody's playing anymore that's why there's no big Lotro streamer or YouTuber, right? It's just like, because there's not enough people interested in that kind of stuff. And so that's where getting more popularity, getting more subscribers, getting more viewers, all that stuff. Like once I'm more exposed and people find out about me, I won't have to worry about that as much, doing things like that, right? Um, having to worry so much about only covering more popular things. But uh, I've talked about that before with my Patreon video. That's just a process, you know? You can't want, not want me to do sponsored videos, then also not want me to ask for funding in a way of like Patreon, then also not want me to only talk about popular things. If you're, You know what I'm saying? I was like, you kind of have to understand that I'm limited in the way that I can function based on how the market works.
Is that game like Zelda? I would say it is in some ways. It's similar. If you want to say Zelda style Shadow Kite, that's a good way to put it. I'll, I'll take that. I just, I like the feel, how it switches from 2D to 3D a lot. Perspectives change. Sometimes it even shows it like from a side scroller perspective. Like, I like all of these perspective shifts. They make the, the gameplay look a lot more exciting, a lot more involved. I like that everything is kind of aimed in some sense. You have to learn the spells and then like their projectiles. Uh, different monsters that you kill have ragdoll effects so you can kind of see what your magic does to them. And I like the, the, the texture of the world. It's not like overly pretty and overly like pixely, but it has a little bit of pixel aspects to it where you can clearly see it's it's stylized to some extent. thing about mages of Australia is it's not a multiplayer game and so that's where kind of magicka is closer to that if you guys have heard of that game well it looks like he's playing it here solo which of course that's an IGN review all right here here's them playing uh, as a group together Wait, they already two people already died. <laughs> uh, did y'all see that? He got hit by the trap, and the trap just like insta killed him. Oh, he's dead. Where I think Magicka lacks in comparison to Mages of Mistralia is it doesn't have a cohesive narrative. The story isn't as good, but I like that it's a setup for cooperative play. But I, I, I just like to show people kind of like more realistic things because I could sit here and talk about features and ideas and concepts and whatever the fuck for like forever. But it's like much simpler to just show somebody Here's something that like inspires me or something that like I'd like to create myself or something that kind of looks like what I would want the game to look like. And that's probably the best way to go with it now. I've never played Magicka. It looks interesting. Yeah, I think it's more about being a cooperative experience and then doing like magic with your friends and kind of using um, using the magic to... Uh, I, I don't necessarily like that everybody's um, magical. I'll say that that's definitely a difference in the game that we want to create is not... It won't be easy to be magical. Not everybody's going to have access to magic. So it's like that's going to be a big difference. But I like how like, even right here in the gameplay I'm watching... They can like freeze their way across water in order to cross the terrain. Like, I just like that you can use your magic to actually affect the world. In Magicka, you select the base spells and combo them to create a spell, essentially. Yeah, and I mean, I don't necessarily think that that's like the right way to go. I don't have that problem myself of doing such a system like that. I'm even okay with doing a typical kind of MOBA ARPG style magic combat system 
for me, it's more in the details that I'm focused in. Back to the grind until next Monday. See you later, Daedalus. Have a good one. I think combos do add a bit of skill to it, and there will be combos in the game that we want to create, but I just, I don't want to say it's going to be the very basis of the game, because I, I think of it as, like, if you just want to be a mage that only uses a particular kind of magic, then I want you to be able to do that. But I also want you to realize you're not going to be able to shoot fireballs if that's what you want to do. You know what I'm saying? So it's just kind of like magic, I think, is too too available in so many games. Like, everybody can just do magic. So actually, in the, in the co-opter version of the game, there will be no PvP. Um, maybe it's something we test on our own and have internal tests for. But if we were to launch the RPG as its standalone game, it's not going to have PvP. I just don't see that as being very realistic nor necessarily required. You know what I'm saying? That being said, you can attack any NPC. That will be something in the game, just like in Neverwinter Nights. But just be willing to, you know, uh, accept that consequence. Have I ever played Trine? I have not, but I've heard a lot about it. Probably peer-to-peer, -peer, yes. Oh, uh, okay, this is Trine. I've seen this before. I did not realize that there's a third Trine. What? I'm, like, way behind on these games. Man, whatever I'm watching here looks laggy as hell. This is like trying through. Ah, I see what you're saying. Or at least I think I see why you were talking about trying. He's kind of using his spells as a way to solve the puzzles. I like that. And then you oh so it's kind of like Gauntlet. By the way, Gauntlet is a is a was one of my favorite games growing up. One of the first RPGs I think I ever played with other people. Oh. It's pretty interesting though. All right, guys, I'm going to say goodbye, though. I will see you guys later. Thank you for joining me on this 11th of November. I hope you guys have a good rest of your afternoon or good rest of your night. And I hope you guys at least enjoyed some of the discussion we had today. And as always, um, if you have any questions for me, just feel free to at me um, in Discord if it's like related to a certain subject. Or you can just wait until next Monday, and then I can address it live on the podcast, whatever your questions are. Um, also remember that uh, you can sign up for the next podcast if you'd like to join me in any of the discussions or join us in any of the discussions. So it's not um, always having to be carried by Limpos and Car, like they said. 
Also, um, if you guys have any questions about kind of like my own personal philosophy for game development or what I'm interested in, I'm always interested in talking about that stuff as well. Just know that I won't typically bring it up that much just because there are discussions happening about this, but it's happening behind closed doors and it's 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 early goings right now. So once we have some of the basic stuff figured out, I think we're going to open it up to the public. We're going to have a uh, a discord that's able to be joined by everybody. So you can do some volunteer work on there. You can kind of see what we have planned on a basic uh, sense. But uh, largely right now, most of the idea aspects of the development process are going on behind kind of closed doors between a couple of people. And then um, once we kind of make the big decisions on what we want to focus on in certain ways, then we'll start to have more kind of uh, open talks with the community because I want the community to be very closely involved in this project because of it in the nature of it being a volunteer project, but also being a project in which we're going to help, you know, create on the channel and, and in our community. It's, um, it's something that's not going to happen overnight. And it's not going to happen without people being passionate enough to try and affect change and try and see if uh, they can put some of their ideas, uh, work, whatever you're skilled in, programming, art, writing. Maybe you just have a lot of energy and you're interested in being involved in game development. I think it's a perfect opportunity for people like that who maybe haven't had experience. And then also maybe if you're willing to learn Unity. Because right now, if one of you guys are interested in working in game development, you're not really sure how, you're not sure how to get opportunities, what better opportunity to, than to work with somebody who already has an established audience, right? Who already is trying to work on um, a, a game of his own and get his own experiences. And, and then also that way, whenever you learn Unity, for example, even if, let's say, my game is horrible, learning Unity is never going to set you back, right? Because now you know how to use the engine. So now you can use that engine skill to then go take it and work somewhere else, right? In the same way, if um, you learned art just to work on a community project, just because that project never got sold for a certain amount of money and so you didn't make money off of it, didn't, wouldn't mean that you would learn a bunch from it that you could then take somewhere else. And so that's kind of how I'm looking at it myself. Is I don't know how to use the Unity engine, but I'm going to try and learn as much as possible so I can understand what's going on, right? But I do need to find people who are absolutely interested in actually learning and already know. And luckily, I do know at least one person who has a knowledge of um, a C Sharp. But um, those are the kind of people that you're going to have to have a pretty good proficiency if you want to know how the engine works in order to do level design and in order to uh, work on the engine itself and programming. And so there's a lot of moving parts when it comes to game development. I think that. The biggest problems arise from trying to do too much too fast and too much at too big of a scale. And I think that that's why um, the focus that I have is just on making it demo ready. Once we have a demo, then we can talk about how is it going to be priced, what's it going to become, how is it going to be funded, and all these other things. Until then, it's just fun. It's just a passion project. So up until that point, that's kind of how I'm looking at it. The visuals in Trine are, are pretty gorgeous, by the way. I really like that the, they uh, have even so many different colors for green. Trap and Mumble Rap, <laughs> Gucci Mane meets... Uh... Yeah, Card is not going to be here for another two carry the podcast. You, know, you studied C-sharp for game design? Well, then, hey, get at me, man. I'm gonna do some work on some stuff.
I think um, a big focus on this project is just going to be getting core systems. I think we're not going to be so focused on all of the other fluff stuff at first. We're just going to figure out design and then working on core systems. And once we're at that point and we've kind of hammered that stuff out, then we can start to think about what do we want to put in this? This to be about, you know, like really start to think a lot more about the other stuff. I think first and foremost, the thing you have to do when building an RPG, co-op RPG or even an MMORPG is you have to build a world that's both believable and intriguing enough for people to want to traverse it. So like, can't do that. Nobody cares what the story is really. Nobody cares what the combat is, right? Like everything else kind of falls on its face if the world itself doesn't make you care. So that's kind of what I think about the process that I'm in right now. It's just we're in world building phase, right? I only know Java and C++, but should be able to. Yeah, and so ShadowKite, I was told the same thing by one of my friends as well in the community. He said that he knows C++, but he's pretty sure he can just learn C Sharp from looking at it. And so, I mean, I've heard that from other programmers. I only know a little bit of Java. Java is the only official class I've ever learned in programming. So my Java knowledge is maybe syntax-wise helps me with learning programming, but doesn't really help me with C Sharp or C++ because they're just so different, right? Like it's such a different kind of language. But maybe between C Sharp and C++, it isn't as different. I have no idea. But um, one thing's for sure, we're not going to have... Um, um a lack of people willing to volunteer that's for sure because like even just talking to the people who watch me on my podcast i've gotten a lot of um people telling me hey i'd love to do art hey i'd love to do music hey i'd love to do writing hey I'd love... i think people just want to be involved in something and game development feels like for a lot of people like this exclusive thing that you just can never be a part of and i think that that's just far from the truth with websites like .io that have hundreds and thousands of community-based games I think that's starting to change with how populated the Unity forums are, RPG Maker forums, Epic Games, uh, Unreal forums. Like, there, it's becoming more by the day, by the hour, more accessible to create video games. It just is very interesting. It's 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 beautiful, I should say, honestly, to watch unfold in front of my eyes. And so instead of just watching it unfold, I was like, you know what? I want to get involved because I've always wanted to be. All my comp sci homies hate Java, think it's going to be over. Well, I think um, comp science is, or sorry, um, Java is just one of those languages where it's a very good language to learn first, but just about anybody that I've heard has argued that it's like you kind of upgrade to better things. You know what I mean? It's a good learning language, but is it an actual good language to just work in? I don't, I don't really know. Minecraft is the only thing he... I didn't know Minecraft is in Java. Wow. The more you know. People have been calling for the end of... They were calling for it when I took the programming class. That was like, shit, at this point, like, six years ago? No. Eight years ago. See, well, there you go. So don't listen to me, Pajit. But that's what they used to tell me. Maybe that's just marketing. But they used to tell me, oh, it's a good language for learning. It teaches you proper syntax. I'll support uh, the project with uh, money. You just have to turn on that pay to win for me. <laughs> uh, funny.
Yeah, I mean, in the in the cooperative phase, in the RPG phase, there there's probably not going to be anything close to a microtransaction that exists in the game. Um, maybe if we decide to do an expansion at some point, that'd be a DLC type of thing that would be possible. But once the game goes MMO, I think that's a process that's going to take years. So it's like, it almost feels silly for me to even talk about it yet, you know? But I like to think ahead, and because I do eventually want it to be able to transition to an actual MMO online world, that's where monetization kind of becomes a lot more important. Honestly, in this current phase, in the RPG phase, monetizations are not really that big of a deal. Like, not nearly as much, right? As it is when it, once it becomes a massive multiplayer online game, because you're completing and creating all of this content, and you're constantly doing it, and you're doing it with constant online, uh, uh, you know, upkeep for your servers and a lot that goes into. Python <laughs> is the most used language in the world right now. My comp side uh, homies like Python better for learning a language. Depends. People measure in a different way. Common is by measuring commits on GitHub, but in the real world, work and jobs look different. Well, yeah, I, I have heard though that C sharp is kind of like, besides knowing C plus plus for Unreal and knowing C sharp for uh for Unreal or sorry for uh, Unity, what other engines require those languages? Isn't Game Maker 2 Studio, isn't that Python? I'm just trying to think, like, what other engines really require those specific languages? I don't know if they have as much crossover as maybe, like, Python does these days. If you have a decent knowledge of C++, there's plenty of engines. Hmm. I wonder, I wonder why that is. But largely, like... Game development just six, seven, eight, nine years ago, I remember looking at job offers and it was almost entirely based around knowing C++. So man, things have shifted. Most frameworks for game engines for especially mobile games is JavaScript though. Ah. Godot, I think, is closer to Python of any engine. That's the open source one, right? I think we decided on Unity just partly because of what's been done in the past. The amount of tools and ways to learn Unity. The ease of use slash cost of it. And probably the fact that it also is, a, at least a, in my eyes, a language that's a little bit more accessible than maybe say for example some of these other open source engines which i just don't know enough about that kind of stuff java and c++ jobs nowadays are mainly or mostly maintenance system unity has such a huge community for and it has so many tutorials available yeah that's what i noticed about it too it also has actually had mmos before so it's like I wanted to look at an engine that I could see um, other projects that at least represent something that I wanted to accomplish, you know?
Unity also has a good track record of running on mobile, largest gaming market it is, especially in China. I learned C in school and I never wanted to do anything with coding after that course. That was me after I took Java for sure. I just like, after then I was just like, I'm not a programmer, that's not me. <laughs> but it wasn't like a, oh man, now my life's toast. It was just like, I still like designing. I just didn't know what that meant. You know? But that's the case for any engine, billion. In fact, uh, Unreal is far worse because the engine is literally not designed to have more than just 64 players. So it's kind of one of those things where it's like, at least with Unity, they have systems in place currently right now, uh, modules that you can purchase that at least allow you to have some semblance of an online server. Uh, and there's even, there's even server networks that work with Unity that you can use as well. With Unreal, it's like, I don't know as much about that in that case. And nearly every MMO I've ever played that's launched on the Unreal Engine has basically had the problems that I personally would deem just not what I want to deal with in the context of an MMO. I'm talking about performance. I'm talking about, you know, graphical issues, uh, like dealing with um, frame lag and all that kind of stuff, not being able to have as many characters on screen. I don't want to deal with those issues. That's an unreal problem. Rune through. I mean, every unreal uh, MMO I've personally experienced, and I've played just about all of the major ones, I just wasn't really impressed by the game. I I'll be honest. And so it's like, I'm a lot more impressed with Albion Online's Unity engine than I am Less Online's Unreal two, uh, 3. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm a lot more impressed by shit, the hero engine. Then I'm impressed with Unreal 3 and some of these. I mean, <clears throat> I know it sounds like controversial, but some of those games, man, like thinking about the control system in Unreal 3, dude, when you were playing APB and like trying to drive around in that game literally feels like you're moving around a boat, like you're driving a giant ass boat. <laughs> There's decent libraries for Unity to handle networking. So I, I've, that, that's what I was told by a developer himself. So that's why I kind of was leaning towards Unity. That's why most MMOs are homegrown in terms of the engine. All right, hear me out. If you implement this unique system that puts X amount of players into these things, I will call layers when a certain threshold has met. <laughs> what? I did a choose your own adventure text program in MATLAB, which was interesting. I used to love choose your own adventure books, man. Well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that MGPT because that's my opinion of it coming from MMOs, but I get told all the time that, oh, it's not the engine. It's not the engine. It's just how they did it. It's just how they did it. But it's like, then how come MMOs keep struggling with Unreal? I don't know enough about it to say why, but I'm just asking the questions. Like, why does it keep struggling? I've seen enough documentation to kind of at least give me an idea of why, right? But I don't know exactly.
All right, I'm going to go now. I'll see you guys later. Anyway, good job keeping me to stay a little bit longer and talk. I'm tired, though. I'll see you guys later.